This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts... Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crage. <laughs> Give me a name. I like him. Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. I like in, him. in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. You are listening to the best wrestling podcast in the world, the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast. I, of course, am. The most compelling voice in wrestling media, the Kenta Kabashi of sex, and a good family man. You can be both of those things at the same time. I am joined by the captain, Rich, back from vacation, Krejci. That's one of your names now. It's a moniker. It's locked in. And we got a lot to get to. We've got a Dominion review to talk about what's coming up next for New Japan, a little bit of AEW news. We've got some Dragon Gate, which we're guaranteed to get to because as of right now, we have it slotted for the middle of the show. A new segment, Rich. Rich, we're doing a new segment. Oh, debut. I can't wait. Another. So, and, and by that, people are probably saying, oh, you know, what Brandy played for again? No, that's not a new segment. That was last week's segment. So that's not new. So it's another new segment. Back to back weeks of new segments here on the Voice Wrestling Flagship. I can't it's believe it. It's a different new segment. And we're not going to say what it is, even though you probably put it in the description. But we're going to. Uh, not on the one that people saw on Patreon. This this was a late addition to the uh, the, the Patreon one. So if you're a Patreon oh, subscriber, right. you got most of the notes for this week's episode, but uh, not the notes of this. I didn't want to reveal the secret uh, new topic. So I so. so I tell you what, don't put it in any of the show descriptions, and let's not talk about it till we get to it. So we've got a surprise new segment coming up at the end of the show. But first, Rich, before we get into Dominion, I, I've I I've gotta tell you about super showdown i cannot avoid telling you about is that what it was called super showdown that would be super showdown from jetta okay and redacted <laughs> we can't say where it's from but we can tell you what city it was yes yeah i'd, I'd lo- joe i'd love nothing more than to hear your thoughts on super showdown Rich, you have to hear about super showdown it was so bad <laughs> that i cannot avoid talking about the super showdown didn't they call the show from australia super yes showdown? Yes, they did. So somehow, so <laughs> Joe, I don't fucking know, man. Somehow in six months, we've had two super showdowns, one in Australia, which made sense. Super showdown. I thought the down, down under, yeah, like that made That's sense. Right. You know, that would be the usher. Then they just said this one was called super showdown too. So I don't know. But, but, but it's, but one of them wasn't as good or equal to WrestleMania. Only this, one was. Only this one was. And this, or and this, what a weird thing to like. It's so wordy and why just say on par with WrestleMania or comparable to or <laughs> right. a WrestleMania like event from yes. the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. But yeah, like leaving the door open, equal to or greater than. Well, it's what, like I'm back what, in math. I'm back in Mrs. Fisher's math class in fifth grade. Like equal to or lesser than like what just it's so wordy 
you know, I, I promise it was on a contract. You know what I mean? Like that was definitely a contracted like thing of like, hey, we WWE will provide an event that is equal to or greater than WrestleMania on this date. And for whatever fucking reason, they just said, well, just say that line's going to get in trouble. We, can, we can't have this guy pull out any any a single dollar. We need every bit of this sixty million dollars in our other categories. So I'm guessing it was just some contract term or whatever. And they, I, I don't know if they think it's funny to kind of just say these things or if they feel like they have to say these things because. If they don't, they, I, I have no I'm trying to explain what the fuck is going on with that Saudi Arabia WWE thing is impossible to do. But yes, an event equal to or greater than WrestleMania, the Super Showdown. Yeah, I brought up uh, Mrs. Fisher, fifth grade math class. You ever wonder how many of your teachers are dead? You know, I did, <laughs> not that long ago, I was with buddies. We were out drinking uh, and all kind of like going down the list. And we we basically we, we nailed it down to at least 10 that were confirmed, like no doubt dead. Yeah, like real, like they were old, and we were in like third grade. It's like, yeah, there's no way. And they were like stressed. You knew they smoked the second they got away from us. Like you knew that you know that they're dead. But then, yeah, we, we were we put some wild cards in there too, just some some oddities that maybe you know not, like not quite sure. And we were able to confirm, I think, three or four of them. But uh, yeah, it, 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 I, I always do one of that as well. At this point in your life, you've had teachers like 25 or 30 years ago, if you're going back to kindergarten. So it's like a lot of these fuckers are dead, you know? And sometimes I just stop and think about that. Like Mrs. Fisher's dead. There's no question about it. Fifth grade. Was she pretty I'm, old even then? She had to be pushing 60. I'm old as fuck. She's dead. I mean, there's no question about it. <laughs> you know, she's definitely dead. And it's like, you can look, I don't know about um, Illinois, but New Jersey, you know, with the unions and everything, you can look up and see who's, it's all public information. You can see because they're state employees and all that. And you can see who's still getting pension and all and all that. And you can look up when people's pensions stopped being paid out and why, and it'll say deceased. So I could actually look up all of my teachers online to see which ones are dead. And I do that like every two or three years or so to check up. And, you know, I every time I do it, there's like, you know, three or four more that are now dead. But it's just something I thought about when I brought up Mrs. Fisher. I know she's dead. But it's just one of them weird thoughts, dark thoughts that enter your mind. How many of my – like if you're driving you know, and you're just zoning out, it's like you think about your history teacher from eighth grade. You're like, you know what? You start doing the math in your head. You're like, well, if I give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe he was only like 52 or 53, but he was probably older than that. And that was how many years ago you start counting on your fingers. You're like, that dude is either 87 or he's dead. Right, right, like, right. Yeah. You know, it, it freaked you out. Man, yeah, I, I, I forgot to actually. That's a great idea to look at the teachers' union list. I think, I think we could do the same here in Illinois. So, uh, it's going to change the game for me. Yeah, it should, be, it should be public record, so you should be able to look that up. Uh, I have a, I have a, um, what do you call the gimmick? The guidance counselors, right? Kept right, right. I had a guidance counselor. I guess we did. I don't know. I never saw him. I, I never, never saw him. So never. <laughs> I don't know what they like, got paid for. So. I, I, I'd get the note. You'd get the note in homeroom like four times a year because they just wanted to like check in on you. Right. They're like come see the guy. I'd throw right in the garbage. Never. No, I got no use for the guidance counselor. Anyway, I had a guidance counselor in sixth grade. Okay. Mr. Ray. My mother had him as a guidance counselor in high school. Oh, he's so dead. <laughs> he's alive. The what? Last, yes. Ninety nine. Yes. The last yeah. time I checked, he was like ninety eight years old and still Jesus. collecting like forty grand a year, whatever. Oh my god, like, he's bankrupting the state. He's <laughs> bankrupting the state. This man is still alive. He was my mother's guidance counselor in high school, 
And then he was my guidance counselor. And my mother went to high school with Susan Sarandon. So do that math for a second. Okay. So the, 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 it's insane. Like that guy's still kicking, you know? Meanwhile, I got like gym teachers that died of heart attacks at like 48, you know? So, you know, give it up for Mr. Ray. I don't know what kind of diet he's eating, but uh, he might be dead now though. So I might've jinxed it because I haven't checked in like a year or so. And when you're that old, it could come any minute. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, who knows? Maybe I should look that up. Maybe the listeners would like to be updated on my sixth grade guidance. Calendar. I'm sure they would. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, well, maybe we'll come back next week and <laughs> I'll do a little bit of research. You can do a little bit of research. We can find out how many of our, uh, our old teachers are dead now. So, anyway, the super showdown, Rich. Oh yes, of course. Speaking of dead bodies, I didn't want to laugh. I wasn't sure. If it was, I'm glad you made the joke. I'm glad it was you that made that joke. Rich, I, I am already joke. canceled, so yeah, I can make. So that, that was actually a good thing because I was ready, and then you took it. So go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> the super showdown. I want. Listen, I'm not going to run down this entire yeah, stupid. Please, dear God, don't. Yeah. <laughs> But this is legitimately one of the worst shows I've ever seen. The Triple H Randy Orton match. I think they're still wrestling. <laughs> okay, it was so, and it was so bad. Um, I want to talk about Rich. Who would you consider the three top baby faces in WWE? And of course, we're not counting Becky Lynch because you well, know, you know, <laughs> she didn't work the Super Showdown. Okay, so obviously, you're talking. Like Seth full-time, Rollins. top full-time baby faces. Sure, you got Seth Rollins, right? The Universal Champion. Seth Rollins. I would say Seth, Kofi, and I guess Roman would be probably my third. You know what? I think that'd be most people's three, right? So the three top baby faces, besides Becky Lynch, on the WWE roster uh, wrestled on this show. Rich, do you want to know the results of their matches and how they uh, and how those results came to be on this show? I would love to. Yeah, I would love to. I I, uh, I purposely went on my way to not follow the Super Showdown whatsoever. So yeah, that'd be good, actually. Whether you said yes or not, I was going to give them to you. <laughs> so let's break it down. Seth Rollins, Rich, took on Baron Corbin. Oh, man. Wow. Made of any town, any country. Correct. And uh, he did win that match when Baron Corbin was busy arguing with the referee, and Seth rolled him up with a schoolboy. Wow. So that was how Seth Rollins defeated. Got to protect Baron. So. Top contender Baron Corbin and Rich. That's actually, it, it went the best for Seth in terms of the three top baby faces on the show. He was booked the strongest. Do you want to know how Kofi Kingston uh, turned back Dolph Ziggler to retain the WWE title? Oh, God. They really did Kofi. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Dolph Ziggler. These are all happening at Stopping Grounds again, right? They're doing rematches for like all these matches. Okay. Gotcha. That, that's for next week. Don't <laughs> yeah. jump ahead. Rich. No, no, I know. I'm just trying to think yeah. in my head. I'm like, wait a minute. Yes. That's exactly what's happening uh, at Stopping Grounds. But... The listeners are frothing at the mouth for that preview next week. Kofi Kingston took on Dolph Ziggler. Kofi, very popular, right? He's gotten over big with the fans, always gets a nice reaction. Uh, big time babyface Dolph Ziggler. Villainous heel returned. They pretended that he left the company. Did you know that? That's his story. <laughs> I forgot they did he, that. <laughs> they're pretending that Dolph left the company to pursue other opportunities and he just came back. find any. There's just none out there, Joe. Where else do you go in this wrestling world? You I have, more. A, I have a theory on Dolph. I think that they've, you know, with the loss of Dean Ambrose and all the news that all these wrestlers want to leave, they're pretending that someone wanted to come back. You see what I mean? It's like, right, oh, right, right. there's people that want to come here and wrestle here. The guy never left. But anyway, um, he's taking out Dolph Ziggler. And remember, Kofi's the baby face. Dolph is the heel. Kofi won the match when he distracted the ref. <laughs> and Xavier Woods kicked Dolph in the face 
leading to Kofi hitting the trouble in paradise for <laughs> one of his other moves for the win. So thanks to Xavier oh, Woods God. kicking. Now, later in the show, an incensed Dolph Ziggler, and he has every right to be incensed, <laughs> right. by the way, <laughs> demanded a rematch with Kofi Kingston in a steel cage where his baby face tag team partners, Xavier Woods, cannot interfere. Why is the heel getting screwed and demanding a cage match? Why is it not justi the justifi justifiably getting a cage match too? He's the baby face here. Right. He's the baby face here. I don't care who's throwing the pancakes. How do you not feel bad for Dolph? He got screwed. And it, it's pretty smart to ask for a cage match. Anyway. Number three, Roman Reigns. And this is the best one, Rich. Roman Reigns took on 50-year-old Shane McMahon. <laughs> Former in, uh, the, the best in the world. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, last time right. they were in Redacted, uh, Shane McMahon won uh, the World Cup to determine the best in the world. So. Um, yes, make sure you remember that. Yeah, but yeah, he is. He's the best in the world. That's right. He has the trophy to prove it. He, he did indeed win uh, the, the World Cup to determine the best in the world. Much like a valued follower of ours, Garbage McFart, who is a <laughs> who is a champion shit poster, and uh, he he's at C trophies. He's got the trophies right there in his uh, banner. But anyway, um, I think Garbage McFart is a listener, so he'll I'm sure he'll uh, he'll he'll check in with us. But um. Roman Reigns versus Shane McMahon. So one-on-one uh, -on -one singles competition with Drew McIntyre on the outside. Of course, they're building a Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns feud. So you'd think that Roman would just beat the 50-year-old guy, and then uh, the 50-year-old guy would send his young uh, you know, uh, bodyguard type to face Roman on the next show sure. to seek revenge. Right? That would make sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No. Here's what happened in that match. Shane McMahon squashed Roman Reigns. <laughs> he took 90% of the match. I'm not making any of this up, by the way. He took 90% of the match. What did that look like? Was it just Shane throwing his shit punches and, and Reigns having to sell those shit punches? Even better. He grapple fucked them. Oh, Jesus Christ. So it's like his, his strip mall MMAs <laughs> was too much for Roman to handle. Side headlocks with like no leverage. Um, yeah, just like slapping on holds, you know, for his really, bi-monthly MMA training that he does. So really loose and, you know, totally fucking cooperative from Roman. Didn't even look like he's trying to get out of him. Rich, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not doing a bit. Ask anyone who watched the show. He took at least 90% of the match. Roman finally made his big comeback at the end. And you're thinking, all right, Roman's going to hit the Superman punch, the spear, whatever the fuck, put this dude away. He, you know, he got dominated for 90% of it, but at least he'll get the arm raised. But no, another ref distraction. Drew McIntyre hits the, whatever he calls that kick in the face, whatever whatever ethnic name they give that kick in the face. I think it's the uh, Claymore kick, maybe? Is I believe it is the Claymore kick, yes. So he hits the Claymore kick, and uh, Roman promptly gets pinned by Shane McMahon after being dominated for 90% of the match and having his comeback cut off by the interfering uh, Drew McIntyre. So uh, that's how your top three baby faces retreated <laughs> in, in Riyadh Redacted. So, Joe, I'm seeing uh, apparently Wikipedia has uh, has just absolutely lost all semblance of editorial. Um, Randy Orton defeats Triple H in 25 minutes and 45 seconds. Yeah, it's true. That no, that that can't be. No, that yeah, that's how long it was. Because every other match, the next longest match is 11 minutes and 35 seconds. Right. And you're telling me that Randy Orton, Triple H, 2545? Correct. And you want me to believe that? 100% true. 
<laughs> and 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 Rich, it was fucking terrible. Well, come on. I mean, Jesus. The drizzling shits, boring, uncompelling. You want to talk about slapping on side headlocks. I mean, this thing was like, how long is it? 25 minutes? Uh, 25 minutes, 45 seconds is what the Try about 18 minutes of side headlocks. They did the old house show thing where like, you know, Randy would have the side headlock, you know, and Triple H would start to power up and he'd start pumping his fist as he starts to stand. Right. And then Randy would drag him back down to the mat again and slap it back on. You know, and we'd go back to another six minute side headlock. And then they would tease Triple H coming out of it. You know, like it was Butch Reed versus Coco Beware in Boston. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, and then, you know, I shouldn't say Coco Beware. His match is always ruled. Uh, Butch Reed versus insert other baby face here. It doesn't matter. Anyone but Coco. And, you know, and then he, you know, he's trying to get the crowd in, and then he drag him back down. The problem was the crowd didn't give a shit about any of this. So they were doing these spots designed to get the crowds to like stomp or clap or whatever as he's making, is getting out of the side. Of the, but it didn't happen. They did get into it towards the end, but this this match was so bad and so boring. And yes, Rich, it was 30 minutes long. I'm also seeing here 51 men battle royal. So it was not a Royal Rumble style. It was a everybody get in the ring. Oh, yeah. So it was 51 dudes in a ring all at once. Correct. Oh, boy. Announcers not knowing who's eliminated. Well, how could you? you? Yeah. Think about it. I, I I always love this idea of so somebody got on a plane flew to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia or redacted, if you will, and then was the 14th person eliminated from a 51-man battle royal. You know what I mean? Rich. Like Eric flew, got Eric of the Viking War Raider Party, got right. on a plane and took a whatever hour flight Correct. to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, got off, and in 100-degree heat was like the 13th dude eliminated from a 51-man battle royal. I'll do you <laughs> Got back on a plane. I'll do you one better. Oh, by the way, it was over 100 degrees in the stadium, which yeah. they were telling us all throughout the show and like bragging about it. Um, <laughs> I'll do you one better than, than Eric. Working conditions are a pretty fun thing to, to, to laugh about. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do you one better than Eric. Our truth got on the plane to Saudi Arabia and never appeared in front of the live fans. He just shot 24-7 vignettes on the plane. <sighs> How about that? God. <laughs> Wait, did they actually fly a plane? Like they couldn't just do that in like a grounded plane? Well, I don't know. They showed him on the plane. Interesting. Well, and, he's with he was probably with other, I mean, other guys were there, so right. The, the whole crew, all the right, right, battle right. royal geeks, all the battle royal geeks. And according to Meltzer, they flew him to Saudi Arabia. But and I watched the show. Look, maybe I'm wrong. I don't remember him appearing in front of the crowd. They didn't do any like comedy stuff with the 24-7 title. I don't remember him appearing in front of the crowd, and I don't believe he was in the battle royal. So they flew him on the plane just to film like a th- 30 seconds worth of 24-7 bits. And then he didn't even appear in front of the crowd. So I don't know what's worse. Ivar being the 18th man eliminated from a 50-man battle royal and never even getting his name called. Okay, he doesn't even call half these people's names. EC3 was the first man out. He was eliminated literally right at the bell. Like the bell rang and whoever the fuck scooped him up from behind and threw him out. You think he got on the plane in his gear? I'd like to say, I'd like to think, yeah. He just like immediately walked to the airport. Have you seen his entrances in yes. house shows? Yeah. He, he is uh... totally checked out. He is <laughs> so checked out. <laughs> he like is so unenthused. He wants to get fired among, you know, 
dozens of other people in that company. But um, yeah, I don't know. Um, Meltzer was saying this, they had like a stopover flight in Brussels or something on the way home. And his phone blew up with text messages from wrestlers just complaining, mostly the Battle Royal guys. Like they flew me to fucking this, you know, this fucking country for for this. So I could be in a battle royal for eight minutes in 110 degree weather. I'm surprised because I was I when when I knew that they were doing a 51 man whatever, I assumed it was gonna be a rumble. Like, yeah, you can maybe don't maybe make it a minute in between entrances, but make it, you know, 20 seconds in between. Let Ivar get his fucking entrance. Let you know uh, Humberto Cairo get like you know five seconds to come out and have a crowd go, hey, yeah, it's that guy. But like I, the idea that everybody was just in there and then they just got eliminated and somebody got eliminated, the 24th, you know, guy got eliminated. I, it's just, <laughs> it's fascinating. First, I, number one, it's Humberto Carrillo. Oh, yeah. Okay? Don't, don't disrespect my boy. Number, Ninja. That's right. And he was in the match, by the way. Um, and, and Renee said he was handsome. He did get mentioned on the well, He's quite handsome. So. He's a handsome wrong. guy. He's very handsome. Um, but yeah, I mean. Mox, no. Mox better watch out, man. Mox is, you know, he's. he's that's in Japan right. And then the Ultimo Ninjas in the kingdom, and, you know? And she's already calling guys handsome. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, not a rumble. And an absolute, and they did show the absolute parade of geeks as they were just <laughs> walking to the ring, single file. Uh, a lot of them not looking very thrilled. I mean, like the Usos coming out and they're just like slump shouldered. You know what I mean? And uh, I think two or three guys got music and entrances. The Miz. Samoa Joe, and I can't remember who else. It may have been just those two. So everyone else just came out, single file parade of geeks. And then Mansoor was your winner. So that was your 51-man battle royal. There you go. And then uh, somebody nearly died in the main event, from what I heard. So that's good. <laughs> Solid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Goldberg knocked himself out, and they nearly killed each other. They almost, yeah. Both died in the middle of the ring, 110 degree ring. Men pushing 60. Isn't Undertaker younger than you think he is? Like, hasn't he been like 49 for the last 10 years? Yeah, I want to say that I'm always kind of surprised when I look at what his age actually is. Let me, uh, he is, he's 54, which like is old, but also, I mean, not as old as you would sort of think he was. I think he was one of those guys that like, sh like shockingly, when you go back and watch like Mean Mark Callis stuff or like his debut, you know, at Survivor Series 1990 or whatever. Dude's like 26 years old. And like, you, I mean, yeah. he, you don't, they kind of always look the same. Like he didn't really start looking old until, you know, about 10, 15 years ago. And I think mm -hmm. it kind of helped it. But yeah, he was a guy that I think is shockingly young in his early days, whereas now like it is, it, it's maybe still not as old as you would think he kind of is. So he started in that late eighties era where everybody looked old. So you didn't realize that he was like 24 when he's in the skyscrapers or whatever, you know, but that, you know, they, yeah, he's, He's he. So I always think of him. Twenty five when he debuted at the Survivor Series. Twenty five. <laughs> and the Survivor, yeah, right. So WCW, he was like 23, 24. And if you go back and watch that stuff, he doesn't look like a twenty three year old man. He looks like he's well into his thirties at that point. But everybody looked old in the late eighties. It's just the style and the hair and cocaine. <laughs> I mean, De Dennis Condry, like at the peak of the Rock and Roll Express of uh, the Midnight Express, you would think the guy was in his forties. He was like twenty eight, and he looked like he lived some life. And he was only like twenty eight, like during some of those years, like eighty four, eighty five, or whatever. You know, and it's like he definitely looked like a man in his forties. So it's just the eighties were weird like that. You know, we always talk about Judy Martin. 
Like when she was in the Glamour Girls, I could have swore she was 50. I think she's like 58 now. Like it's it's incredible. You know, she was like in her late 20s. Right. With the Glamour yeah, Girls. I, I think Bobby Eaton, when he started with the Midnight Express, he was 27 years old. You know, Bobby Eaton. He was 37. <laughs> like I would have I added 10 years. That's when he started with the Midnight Express. He was 27 years old. Yeah. So anyway, that was um yeah, a, a topic. We went off thrilling. the board. Thrilling. Yeah. I didn't expect it to go that long, but uh we went off the board again. But we gotta talk about uh Domain, you got an ad read or something or audio Nothing, man. We can go right into it. No, we're we're, we're pretty clean this week. It's an ad-free week. So I will uh, I, I guess I will mention, of course, the uh, the voice wrestling Patreon, patreon.com slash voices wrestling for all our our bonus contents that we do uh, a lot of good stuff on there. We did, of course, best of the super juniors. You uh, every single day kind of did updates about that. That is coming again for the G one. Uh, I have a new uh, VOW retro coming in the next few days. Talking about Goldberg's heel turn, which is 19 years ago. Uh, uh, yesterday, as as we're recording this, yesterday, 19 years ago, uh, some other good stuff on there as well. Obviously, we do Q and A's, you do your TV reviews, a lot of good stuff on there. And I think we haven't mentioned this uh, in a while as well. But uh, voicewrestling.com/slash/amazon, uh, uh, I should say. So if you do any purchase on Amazon, uh, make sure you do it at voicewrestling.com/slash/amazon. We get a small percentage back, so uh, we know you're all addicted to Amazon anyway. So you might as well let us get a small percentage of that, and not everything go to Jeff Bezos. Uh, so yeah, the voicewrestling.com slash Amazon to do that. And we will get a small percentage. It does help us out quite a bit. And, and then they also say, yeah, if you listen to this podcast or any other of the voice wrestling uh, podcast network podcast, uh, make sure you uh, review it as well. Whatever service you're on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, whether it's uh, Google play, whatever service you're on, if they allow reviews, give a quick review. Cause it uh, does help a lot. Even if it's just a star review, uh, do that. But if you can put a few words in there and say, Hey, I like these guys or I hate this. No, no negative reviews. We had no time for you to fucking negative reviews. We'll just call you out and by name and, and, and shame you anyway if you do that. So don't do that. Only positive reviews, but um, it does help uh, not only this show, but every other show uh, on the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network. So definitely do that. And I will add one more thing as well, the uh, the forums. We're trying to get uh, discussion back to the forums. That was the thing that we, we did a few years ago. We kind of let it fall off a bit, and I think we're kind of ready to see if we can get it going again. Uh, voicewrestling.com slash forums. Make sure you uh, uh, join up there. Uh, join the discussion. A lot of good stuff going on with all uh, wrestling all across the world. Uh, voicewrestling.com slash forums all right yeah that's it i got that free show other than that that's it we're done the best threads on the forum are the threads discussing this show every week where everybody comes in and buries us yeah it's great yeah within like an hour somehow somebody has listened to the show the three hour show in an hour and tells us what we're wrong all about which is great it's 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 pretty fun so So yeah like i love i love waking up in the morning and just getting like all right here we go like what do we fuck up what did people hate what segment do they think of shit like it's just it's good stuff so i go to that section of the forum i see seven replies already and i'm just like all right let's see what everybody hated (laughs) but uh what do we got here uh dominion okay so um big picture thoughts of the Dominion card, Richard, what did you think of the Dominion card overall? Yeah, so I thought a thumbs up show definitely. We'll we'll talk about a few of the matches, of course, that come up and and a few of the matches that we're going to talk about here. I, I saw some people mention like show of the year, and I, I don't quite know if it was that. I, I don't know if it was like one of the best shows I've seen this year, one of the best shows I've seen in a while. It had some pretty high highs, but it had a, just a lot of just kind of stuff on it too. So I, I think the card on paper maybe sounded better than it actually probably delivered and i guess your mileage may vary depending on like what you thought of a few different matches but i think there was one match that was like actually legitimately terrible uh which we'll talk about here i won a few matches i'd I'd call kind of disappointing uh but all in all a thumbs up and and it's hard to really call a show bad when it 
you know, it featured Will Ospreay and, and Dragon Lee, and then of course the the, the Naito Kota Bushi match, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So uh, I'm thumbs up, and and there was even some matches on the the undercard that maybe didn't like in a nerdy kind of star rating sense didn't quite deliver on that level but delivered in terms of like telling a really great story and being a really fun match like uh the the opener which we'll talk about here in a minute like that's actually probably one of my favorite matches the entire night but it's one that you can't really rate on any sort of level it's not like you know what what are you gonna rate moxley and uminu like you know so we talked about it you know last week where you know that sometimes the downside of, of of star ratings is they don't properly it's hard to judge a match or it's hard to rate a match that does its job perfectly, but also isn't like technically a good quote unquote match or whatever. So that, you know, again with, with dominion, I think I'm, I'm thumbs up. I'm probably two thumbs up, but show of the year, one of the best shows I've seen in a while. It's not quite to that level, but I still think it, it, it was very solid all around. I don't know what you think of any of this. Cause we didn't really talk about, we it. haven't, no, we haven't talked about dominion at all, which is interesting. Cause I heard you slip something in there where you said there was one terrible match. And I'm looking at it and trying to figure out I've got two contenders. So I'm curious to see when we're going through the card, when we get to what you considered to be a terrible match. I didn't think any of the matches on the show were terrible, um, but I have two that I think you may have thought were terrible. But anyway, um, my overall thoughts, I haven't really seen people calling it a show of the year contender. I've been seeing more of people that were down on the show, which to me is baffling. Because while I don't think this is a show of the year contender, I thought this show was so fun. This was one of the funnest shows that you'll see. I I had so much fun watching this from start to finish. There's maybe one or two matches in there that felt like a a little bit of a slog or that I wasn't interested in. Other than that, you had a bunch of cool angles. Every 10 minutes, you got another surprise person announcing their entry into the G1. You had a bunch of great matches on the back end. This show was fun. I really don't understand people who were banging on this show. It's like, have we lost grip of just like what a fun wrestling show is now? Because that's what this was. You had angles. You had, you know, uh, fresh faces uh, showing up. You had great matches on the back end. And oh, this card wasn't perfect. And this wasn't one of the best shows, I'm, I'm uh, you know, of the year. And I'm not going to think about it when I'm thinking about show of the year or anything like that. But I'm going to tell you something. This is going to be a memorable show. This is going to be one of those shows that you're going to remember five years from now because you're going to remember Moxley's weirdness with Shota Aminu. You're going to remember Kenta showing up. You're going to remember Shingo uh, declaring himself for the G1. You're going to remember that disgusting bump that Ibushi took in the Naito match. This is going to end up being one of those shows that's memorable uh, where you can look back and you remember a lot of things from it. And that's really two shows in a row for New Japan because we talked about that last week with the Shingo Will Ospreay match, which is going to go down as a uh, as a classic match in New Japan Junior history. Um, there was no question about it. So I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought there was a lot. There were, it was sprinkled with great matches. It was sprinkled with surprises and fun stuff. Absolutely, if you're just going thumbs up, thumbs down, doing the old observer scale, it's like easy thumbs up for sure. Easy thumbs up. So anyway. Uh, let's start, you know, this time let's start at the, at the beginning of the show. Well, well, actually one thing I wanted to do before, before we get to the show itself, I did want to talk, uh, take a quick look at the attendance of the show as well. We like to talk the business a little bit here. 11,901 for for the attendance of the show. I'll just kind of give you an idea. Last year's show, 11,832, uh, 2017, 11,756. So kind of stay with the same level going up slightly. Uh, 2016, of course, the one weird sort of oddity with these uh, uh, Osaka Joe Hall shows, uh, 9,925, despite it being you know, Naito and Okada uh, in the 
main event. And the 2015 11 400 for that one. So, I mean, again, another, you know, they stayed in that 11,000 range, a, li- a little, little under, you know, 12,000. But I think, you know, thumbs up for again, uh, getting higher, you, you know, an uh, increase of almost 100 fans uh, year over year to 11,901. And, and we, continue to talk about now despite the fact they they might lose guys uh, left and right it doesn't seem to be affecting the business all that much uh, not only that th- yeah the 11901 this is the uh, highest attended dominion um since they started running this building mm-hmm. so 2015 you just went through them all uh so a shade under 12000 and what that also tells you is and we'll get to this when we get to the main event is people can whine and cry about chris jericho all they want they're going to keep paying him if he keeps drawing that is the bottom line so if you don't like Chris Jericho, I get it. If you're sick of Chris Jericho, I understand. If you've had enough of Chris Jericho, look, I, I, I totally understand that train of thought from a fan perspective. Unfortunately, if you're someone who's sick of Chris Jericho, what you need to root for is one of his shows to bomb. That has not happened yet. And if he keeps breaking records, Rich, they're going to keep paying him. Sure, <laughs> I mean, right. you know, they're going to keep bringing him back. So, um, you know, it's, it's, that's the deal with Jericho. And that's why he wanted the flexibility to work New Japan because he knew that he still had drawing matches on the table. He still had Okada. And we talked about, remember, Rich, remember we talked about this. He still had Okada on the table. He still had Tanahashi on the table, which is the next one they set up. And he still has Minoru Suzuki on the table. And now we know for a fact he's doing Tanahashi. And I would not be shocked at all if he does Minoru Suzuki. In fact, it would line up perfect for, the, for one of those dome shows. And that would be a huge traction, those two guys as one of the featured matches on one of those dome shows. I assume that those are the people that are left that he would like to work with. And who knows, maybe he wants to work with Jay White. I, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe he wants to work with Kota Ibushi. The bottom line is he saw money matches that were remaining on the table. New Japan agreed with him and they saw money matches that remained on the table. And that's why he signed the contract he did with AEW. And uh, this was the first one up. And look, he knocked it out of the park again. It's the biggest attendance they've done in that building. So, you know, if you're one of these people who are sick of Jericho, I hate to break it to you. You're getting, you're getting more Jericho. And if this Tanahashi match draws, you're getting more Jericho after that. They're going to keep using Jericho until one of two things happen. He stops drawing money or he's sick of doing it. So those are the, or, or he runs out of opponents. But here's the thing. Rich, if he keeps drawing, right? Let's say he works Tanahashi. Yeah, they'll, they'll find opponents. <laughs> you yeah, know I mean? you know Tanahashi, Suzuki, uh, and, you know, and if the Suzuki match draws, then they'll put him in there with Will Ospreay. Or they'll put I was going to say with- Will seems like one that that you know eventually when he decides, hey, this is my last one. Knowing what Jericho is and knowing what he thinks about the business and 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 all that sort of stuff, I could absolutely see him saying, okay, look, I want Will final one i'm gonna put him over on my way out or whatever like i could 100 percent see that the set when you run down those names i kept thinking in my head will 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 for whatever reason that just keeps ringing in my head is that whenever he's done and that would be the last one you know what i mean it wouldn't be yeah him beating will and then going on to face suzuki or what it would be like when he's done when i'm i'm moving on and i'm ready to go retire or, or go do fozzy shit or whatever the hell he's gonna do afterwards will is gonna be that last one i really do think that yeah, maybe he'll maybe Jay White. I mean, who knows? You know, he'll if if, if they're still willing to pay him and he's drawing and he, he'll sure. he'll find opponents to come up with pitch to them, you know. And he he finds ways like losses the guy's Teflon. I mean, because you look at the way, you know, he loses this match, it doesn't fucking matter. 30 seconds later, he's beating the guy down and and then you know is in a hot angle with Tanahashi and and no one remembers the loss anymore. And then he takes the mic and he heals it up and he says, I I never lose. You know, I might lose, but I never lose. 
You know, so he understands. He's brilliant. He's a brilliant guy. Um, he's very smart. He understands how to stay over even if he loses. And uh, look, I get it. It's kind of annoying that this guy can just parachute in off of losses and get title matches. And that kind of stuff bothers us too. But at least for me, I can't knock them for putting him in matches like this. And that 11-9-0-1, that ends the argument to me. That ends the debate. There's no debate after that. So, you, you know, it's, it's like it's, it's not the kind of pro wrestling booking I like, but I have to shrug my shoulders and say I, I can't blame them, and I know why they do it. Um, anything else on the attendance or the business or I think that's wanna- it. Yeah. I just wanted to kind of point out again that I just thought it was an interesting number. And, and again, despite all the losses, despite, you know, a, a guy, you know, in Jericho in the main event, it, yeah, things not only keep doing well, but actually get a little bit better. So. Yeah. You know, the, the Jericho Okada match, you know, clearly was, was, a, was a huge draw, but anyway, let's go through the card. Uh, you referenced it. We both referenced it a little bit earlier. John Moxley in the opener, defeat Shota Aminu. In what was pretty much um, what I expected. I mean, he went in there. He went right after him. Um, Aminu had one hope spot with the drop kick, and uh, Moxley. I don't even think he did. He leave his feet. I know he stumbled a bit. He may have took taken a bump. I can't yeah, I, I'm trying to remember in my head if he actually did take a bump. I don't think he did. I think he staggered and like bounced off the ropes. He sold for him a little bit. He may have taken a bump off of it too, but that was really the only spot that Aminu got. And then he beat him with the double arm DDT, which he's what's he calling that now? The uh, He's got some new name for it. Anyway, it's the old, it's a movie's been used. Someone's screaming at us, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. And I don't care. <laughs> not, yeah, we're I not the move. We're not the move podcast. So it's a double arm DDT. You know, that's, you know, it, that, that pretty much uh, uh, sums it up. I don't know what goofy name he gave it. It has something to do with his, um, I, who knows? Who cares? I don't know. Uh, but he beat him with the double arm DDT. Uh, well, he used to call it the Dirty Deeds. Is he still calling yeah, it that? No, no, no. He changed it. It's not he changed it. Deeds. Yeah. What the hell did he yeah, change it into? I don't know. It's something to do with his new persona. I, but it's the double arm DDT. The one still- hitter. Does that sound right? The no, one hitter. Not. Okay. Damn it. No, doesn't sound right. Um, Andrew Rich would know. Yeah, he's he's screaming right now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fine. Uh, but anyway, and then. Uh, Oddly, he helps Aminu to the back. I love that. It was awesome. Which was bizarre, but it's just little weird things like that that help you get over. Of course, this was after he declared himself for the G1, which everybody kind of did the math on and and figured out that that was probably going to happen when he was. I don't know if you listened to the Wade Keller uh, interview um, with uh, with with Moxley, the two parter, but Wade asked him directly, and he kind of it was just an awkward silence. And he's like, he said something to the effect of, well, if I knew, I wouldn't tell you or something like something, <laughs> right, right. something very Moxley like. Right. He spends the entire interview, you know, spilling his guts and saying everything and then goes, oh, well, I don't know. You know, yeah, that you, you caught you, him. You'll, yeah. you'll find out when the world finds out, like some shit like that. Right, so right, like right. that kind of revealed it, you know, plus he had no NEW dates conveniently. Only the shows happening during G1 were the only ones he wasn't booked for. Um, so, yeah, we all kind of saw it coming. But he made the announcement here. Uh, very exciting stuff. It's going to be a real. We talked about it already, but it's going to be a real interesting G one with him because, you know, his style will mesh with some guys. It's not going to mesh with others. I guarantee you, he has a stinker or two. I guarantee you, he knocks it out of the park once or twice. It's just like the deviation with him is going to be wild. Yeah, the the, the good matches are going to be great, and then the bad ones are going to be fucking real bad. You, you know what I mean? Like, and and I guess real bad in the context of they're just gonna like on the G one scale. You know what I mean? Like, what will they right. be like truly 
awful worst match of the year matches. No, but they're going to be some, he's going to have a match with, you know, I'm just trying to spitball a name. That's just like not going to work, you know, whatsoever. And yeah, there's going to be guys. There's yeah. That's a perfect example where those guys are going to go out there. They're going to try something and it, 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 you know, it might work, you know, and honestly that match might be the best match that Moxley has. And it might be the worst match. He has that entire tournament, but that's going to be the thing with him is just, you're not going to be able to know on a nightly basis, what's going to deliver, what's going to be good, what's going to be awful. But uh, as far as this match, though, I, I absolutely love this. I, I thought it was a perfect, you know, I, I, I talk about, for me, the, 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 some of the matches I love the most are ones that don't overstay their welcome, that aren't long just for the sake of, we got to go out there and have 10 minutes. Like, these guys said, hey, four minutes, in and out, that's exactly what we need to do. Moxley staggered a little bit, had Aminu get some hope spots, like you said, and then put him away, and that was it. It was like the exact story it needed to tell. Well, Aminu didn't look like a total geek, but that Moxley proved that he was way more, way better than him, way more superior. And it's just like, yes, <laughs> again, we talk about pro wrestling being so simple sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't need to be 10, 15 minutes. Sometimes it doesn't need to be a back and forth with a bunch of kickouts. It could just be a four minute match that tells a perfectly good story. So, and that's exactly what that was. And then him, I loved him carrying him out with them because it just sort of lends itself to Moxley just being this complete weirdo that's like what the fuck like what <laughs> like you just wanted to kill this guy and now you're gonna help him to the back but that's that's kind of what moxley is and i love that it's just like that unpredictability that weirdness about him that, that that's so cool and you could tell that this dude is just having the fucking time of his life right now uh you know in, in new japan and and i can't wait to see what he does uh in AEW too and we'll talk about it a little bit later with the fighter fest but uh yeah he's a guy who looks like he's just having a fucking ball so i'm excited to see uh what's next the Joe Lanza offer match. Shingo defeats Satoshi Kojima. And this was everything I think everybody wanted it to be. I thought this was awesome. Of course, the big spot that will be burned in my brain until the day I die was when Shingo hit that pumping bomber and Kojima just stonewalled him and no-sold it. And the look on uh, uh, on Shingo's face as he was like, oh, shit. I wanted heavyweights. This is what it's like. To re- this is not Teton. Okay, this is not, uh, you know, Jonathan Gresham. This is a big boy. And uh, the pumping bomber did not work with that barrel chest of Satoshi, that 49-year-old battle-scarred barrel chest of Satoshi Kojima. He just stonewalled him and no-sold him. And if you don't think Joe Lanza was flying off his couch (laughs) at that point, then you don't know nothing about me. But this was great. And Shingo eventually put him away. This was the perfect opponent. We talked about it last week. This is Shingo basically 20 years from now. They're the same human being. They basically wrestle the same style. Um, and, and it's a guy who has just enough respect to where the win means something, but is at the point of his career where he can lose and it doesn't matter. You couldn't have a more perfect opponent. What'd you think of this one? Yeah, I really liked it. It was one of those ones, again, where, where I mentioned these first two matches on the show were ones that, like, star ratings-wise, I couldn't go too high on. I couldn't go really nuts on, despite the fact that I really, really liked him. And, again, another match that I like to use the term didn't overstay its welcome. 11 minutes was exactly what it needed to be. It did not need to be a 20-minute epic. It didn't need to be a bunch of back and forth. It was just a few as you said, key spots, key moments that you'll remember and key, you know, Kojima gets his little spot. Kojima's got the arm going. He's got the lyric going, but like, you know, he tries to put Shingo away. He knocks Shingo on his ass. Like Shingo tries to do the pumping bomber. Can't quite get like just little stuff that you needed quite there. And then of course the visual of Shingo just eventually putting him away and then grabbing the mic and declaring for the G1 is like, it, it's exactly, you know, this is a guy now who's saying as a junior, I'm going to go into the G1 with heavyweights. And, you know, we don't know what he's going to do in the tournament. We'll we'll, we'll have to see as we get a little bit closer. We'll try to guess it and and, and figure it out. But, like, he needed a strong win to establish himself as as, as being, you know, able to get to the G1. And he did that. So it's exactly another one that, like, I can't say it was four and a half stars. I can't say it was four and a quarter and all that sort of shit. But, like, it was exactly what it needed to be. It was exactly the right story to tell with the exact length that it needed to be as well. So just enough time to get the good spots in and, and tell the story that you needed to tell. 
without it just dragging on and on and on and on. So yeah, real, real good match again. I really like these openers. Yeah, it's a war. This match was a war, and and he beat a G1 caliber opponent. They didn't put him in there with Yujiro. They didn't put him in there with uh, Hanare. You know what I mean? They put him in there with a guy where the win kind of means something. Right. You know? oh, yeah, so- yeah, yeah. And 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 Kojima, I know on 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 the, the the English side, and I'm sure they did it on the Japanese side too, is going over the credentials of Kojima because you wanted to establish that yeah, Shingo is not just beating some old guy. And it was you know the commentary always said you know yeah he's he's old, but man he's you know Don Cal saying oh he's he, I've never seen him look better like Cal says that with everybody that right, he's trying right, to put right. over. Which I like, but I like that though. It's a nice little thing. He's like wow, Kojima looks in the best shape I've seen him in in years. And then you know Kevin Kelly talking about well you know this is a man who was at one time both the New Japan and All Japan champion and yeah like going over the credentials as the match is going on and that's stuff that's important again like tracing yeah. back to the history and and letting people know that this is not a geek you know it might be old he might be you know, approaching 50 or whatever but this is not a geek like this is this is still the strongest arm man and 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 shingo beating him is a big deal and it is a big stepping stone to now getting into the g1 so uh, i thought it was cool and then yeah we had back-to-back guys declaring for the g1 and both new interesting names in the g1 too and i think that's what i was most excited about after this is it's like after a few years of what felt like kind of stagnation in the g1 it's like already I'm super excited because these two dudes that like I you know so many different matchups that these guys can have maybe not all of them are going to land but you know I, I'm really excited to see both of these guys in there particularly Shingo I mean Jesus the matches and we talked about it last week the amount of matches that Shingo's going to have you know new interesting fun matches and and especially in the G1 in the context of the G1 he's going to kill it man he's going to have an incredible tournament I cannot wait. Yeah, and then Kenta. So it's like <laughs> right, guys, exactly. right. Oh, and also Kenta. Yeah. And, and and it's so compelling. And we'll have a larger discussion about Kenta, um, you know, later on the show. But what's compelling about that is to see if he can have a career revival. So there's a whole nother angle with him too. But uh, we'll talk about Kenta more at length when we get through the show review. Jushin Thunder Liger and Yoshihashi defeats Minoru Suzuki and Zack Saber Jr. This is the time of year where Yoshihashi scores a bunch of falls in matches uh, to show that he's G1 caliber. So it looks like he's going to be in it. I was thinking to myself as this match was happening after all these G1 declarations, if Yoshihashi reaches for a mic, somebody please cut it. So, like, <laughs> you know, that, that's what I was <laughs> thinking during this match. But um, he scored a fall uh, on another show, may have been the uh, Super Junior final show. He scores a fall here. So it's <laughs> like he's going to be in the G1. So that's what they're telling you. Because look, they did the same thing with Taka before the Super Juniors. He starts, Taka Mishinoku starts scoring falls. I mean, why? There's no other purpose for that other than to say, this man is primed and ready for the tournament that he's about to be in. So uh, they try to give everybody a little credibility, especially these guys who are going to hardly win any matches. Eh, It's a little booking thing. I understand it. I just don't want Yoshihashi in the tournament. But, um, you know, uh, he'll be, he'll have one or two matches where he shows some fire and does his thing, and then the rest will, will be highly forgettable. But they're dragging out the Liger-Suzuki thing, so, you know, it's obviously you're going to have to wait for it now, either King of Pro Wrestling, maybe even beyond. Look, I would not be stunned if they drag it out all the way to the Dome because that's a really good Dome match for Liger to go out on. Um, it seemed crazy because they started this angle like in April, but look, now we're at G1, so now we lose two months. There's two months there. They're not going to do it on a G1 final. Um, I don't think, you know, they could, so then what are their opportunities? King of Pro Wrestling is the obvious spot. And then you've got your... Uh, destructions. Destructions, and you've got your uh, power struggle. But you think they would have it on a bigger show than that. So if they don't have it on King of Pro Wrestling, I really think they're stretching it to the dome. Yeah, the, the only problem, the, the one issue I have with that is it just feels like it's clogging Liger up. Like, I, I love this feud. And, and full I like, I want, I cannot wait for this match, but it's just like I want Liger to have a few different things 
yeah. you know, over those courses. So it's just like the idea that like this is all he's going to do, and this is it, and then he has that match with Suzuki, and then he's out. It's like, oh man, like, but but all those months are going to just be anticipating this match and and the build between these two guys. And again, not to say that I'm not loving everything they're doing. I just want to see him against new unique opponents over the next the last few months of his in his New Japan career. And that's where my worry is. Like, if you if you hold it off to dome, it's just like ah, geez, like I, it's just about, it seems like a waste of the last half of uh, of Liger's career or the last half about, of year. This, this is outside the box. How about this? How about Liger Suzuki in Dallas? Ooh. Got to push those tickets. Yeah, I to me, I think that's a match that I think has a little bit more cachet in Japan than it does in America. And that's so weird to say because like both those dudes have so much cachet in America as well. But I think that's something that you you give a reward to the Japanese fans. I think I, I think that one. It, it just to me, it has a little bit more significance happening in Japan than it would. Um, yeah, in America, I, I don't love that. If they did that, I wouldn't like. I wouldn't be against it because I think that crowd would just absolutely eat it up. But I, I think I would prefer to have it happen in, in in japan but uh one thing i did want to mention about this match my, my favorite spot of the entire match because it's just yoshihashi being an absolute geek is um so he's in initially at the at the beginning of the match and suzuki and saber are just beating the fuck out of him liger jumps into the ring and just slaps yoshihashi and says tag me god damn it tag me and i loved it <laughs> just yoshihashi's a fucking geek yeah and yeah. I, god, I loved it liger being like all right all right you've had enough get out of this fucking ring let me do my work here. You're getting your ass kicked. Like you're you're fucking it up for us. Like get in there. It's just I, I just loved it. And then he scores the ball. Now course, that's so. a true geek. <laughs> right. That is a geek. <laughs> Where dad has to come get you. Okay, get out of here. <laughs> Speaking of which, where's Hiroki Goto? Uh, that's a very good question. The the geek of all geeks is uh is nowhere to be found. Is he hurt? I hope he's not hurt. I really don't hope he's not hurt. Um, no, I, they, they're supposedly doing some kind of Twitter angle where he's off in training or something. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> he's under a waterfall again. But he's I not mean, all that. Yeah, get out of the waterfalls. Get out. If if the training is he's got a new badass persona, and he's ready to fucking turn on chaos and start his own unit. Then I'm all in. But uh, he doesn't need a badass new persona. He just needs to be booked to win some matches. He's already a badass. That's what you people all miss about my main man Hiroki Goto. Okay, he is a badass. He just gets booked <sighs> to lose all the time. If he were booked to win. All right, well, now you're being an iconic stand here. I, I understand that the way he's booked is what he, what makes him a game. I'm saying that I hope when he comes back, they 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 figure out something to do with him other than being the fifth best guy in chaos or whatever the fuck he is. You know, it's Yeah, it, right. I understand, but I don't think he needs to be repackaged. A lot of people say that. But I think he looks cool. I think his moves are cool. I think he's got cool music. You can get rid of him fucking, you know, shaking uh, Okada's hand after he gets hit with a Rainmaker in his video. You could drop that part, but the rest of it, I mean, I don't know. I just think, you know, why you got to pick on Goto? Huh? I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, you, you made me, you, you made me pick on him. There. I wasn't even going to mention him, but uh, no, I, I just like, I, I would like for him to be awesome too. I would love for him to just come out and fucking GTR Okada. You know what I mean? Just, just yeah. get in the ring, shake Okada's hand and just fucking hit him with a GTR. And just say fuck you, <laughs> then you know, that, like that's all I mean. Just a little bit, of, not like a whole new persona. He doesn't have to have, like be wearing black face paint and shit. I just like a new, a little edge to him. He doesn't have to change much about him. Just change the fact that he's just kind of this like, you know, I, I don't want a happy go lucky, you know, happy to be the fifth guy in the unit type guy. I want you know, yeah, be a lot cooler. Where, if you just yeah, just yeah, as I said, drops Okada on his fucking neck and says no. Wearing wearing paint didn't work too well last time, but no, as <laughs> oh, we I forgot about the paint thing. I forgot he's done that too. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, Hiroshi Tanahashi, <laughs> Juice Robinson, and Rusuke Taguchi defeat Chase Owens, who they brought in for this show specifically. Jay White and Taiji Ishimori when when Hiroshi Tanahashi debuted 
his hot new finisher on Chase Owens, the the botch. What the fuck was that? <laughs> I don't know. It was really weird. He basically botched and pinned him and pinned him. Um, he looks horrible here, Tanahashi. He, he really did. Really yeah, bad. I don't know if he was just exhausted from from. I, I don't know what it was, but yeah, he did not look good. Yeah, and I guess he didn't want to do the high fly flow or either that or they wanted to establish a new finish for him, but something went wrong. I don't know what the fuck it was supposed to be. It looked like one of Hiroki Goto's moves, actually, now that we bring it up, but just poorly executed. And um, yeah, I don't know what the fuck that was. Is this the match that you thought was terrible? This uh, was no, the uh, this was okay. the one I thought was terrible. It wasn't good, but I didn't think it was like terrible. It was fine for what okay. it was. Uh, there was enough stuff to kind of sink your teeth into, but I'll admit that I don't have any like super strong thoughts about it. Like the second yeah. it was over, it was and one of those matches that you're never, ever, ever, ever going to remember ever again. So well, I'll remember that awful attempt at a finisher. The time did they, did they actually say what it was supposed to be ever? Or did anybody ever? Because now I, I don't remember if I, they were like, oh, that's the, uh, or did they just like let it go no, and then the just English, say, we don't know what the, the hell he's doing. So the English commentary was really confused and they tried to cover for it, obviously, like it was some devastating maneuver. Um, and they were just saying things like, oh, the finish can come at any time, you know, like, <laughs> right, right, so, right. Um, I don't know, but it was really bad. I think I know what you're unless you're one of these people unless you're one of these people who hated the main event and we're gonna have to fist fight we'll see. the main event rules. We'll see. Unless you're one of these weirdos that didn't like the main event because the main event was awesome, then I think I pretty much know the match that you think was awful. So let's move on. Uh Tomohiro Ishii wins the never title from Taichi in a uh in a match where they uh, they 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 both channeled the spirit of their mentors at some at one point they were doing Tenru and Kawada spots to each other, and it was a really good match. I thought this was a war, and I think when Taichi limits the bullshit, he's capable of having matches like this. We've seen him do it, and this was another example. So I really like this. In fact, I thought it was a notebook match. I think I went four flat on this one. What'd you think of Tomohiro Ishii's uh, never win over Taichi? Yeah, I was right with you uh, with the four stars. A, a, a match that I really, really did enjoy, and it's it's everything that I wish. And this is the thing that people think that I like irrationally hate Taichi and all that sort of stuff because I come on here and I kind of complain about yeah. him. But the reason I complain about him is because I know he's capable of of having better matches. Like you see one like this, and it's like ah yes, this more like he could get over doing all the same Taichi stuff but limit the bullshit and have matches like this. I think it would really make him that much better, but some people love the shenanigans and all the bullshit and all the crap or whatever, which is it, it, fine, but I come on the show and give my opinions, and my opinions are I hate that shit, and I think it's boring, and it it undermines him. If he was some garbage, if he was Yujiro, I, you know, Yujiro, whatever. I, Yujiro sucked, and I didn't care if he did this bullshit that he would do and all that sort of stuff. It's whatever. But Taichi, I know, is capable of being better than he is. So that's the stuff. It's like it's like I'm not mad, I'm disappointed type thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like every time Taichi goes out there and has one of those matches, it's just like, ah, oh, man. But but he's had, an, and I'll admit it full well, 2019 has been a great year for Taichi. When he's put his mind into having these good matches, and matches are structured to be good, this each match, the ones he had with Naito, there's a few other ones throughout the year, he's had good matches like really really good ones and this is another case of it being awesome like it's hard to it's it's nearly at this point impossible to have a bad match with Tomohiro Ishii 
so you know, I won't give him too much credit in that in that sense, but I think he was right there with them. And I think, like you said, channeling the Kawada stuff and 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 Ishii doing a little bit more of the tender. Like it's just like everything kind of worked in this match and it really clicked. And, and I'm looking forward to if these guys do have a rematch and have a little bit more time to kind of have something, or maybe there's a main event of a G1 show or something like that. If Taichi does make it in the G1 this year, there's a lot of fun stuff you can do with these guys in a really long type of match. If 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 again you get rid, rid of the bullshit and just have these dudes have a war and 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 Taichi is capable of doing that. So uh, I really really liked it i think that the thing with taichi is when he limits it not only does he have better matches but it also then gives it more impact when he does do it because then it's it's not an every match thing you know and then and and it's going to garner more heat too if it's done if he picks his spots whereas like you're saying if he was someone who sucked like yujiro you need to do that stuff to get over if you're yujiro you need to do that stuff to get over if you're dookie you know what I mean? But like this guy doesn't need to do that stuff. And then it would have more impact when he does do it if he if he if he limits his spots. So anyway, this was good. As a side note, people are doing G1 math with all of these people declaring for the G1. Will Ospreay, by the way, declared himself for the G1 in the post-match comments. He didn't do it after his match, but he said he would like to be in it in the post-match comments. I don't know if that means he's going to be in it, but that's four names that really no one was really counting on. You know, 72 hours before the show with Willow Spray, Moxley, Shingo, and Kenta. Three of them for sure. A lot some people thought Willow Spray would be in it. But so people are doing G1 math and trying to figure out who's not gonna be in it. I think Taichi could get be one of the snubs here. It wouldn't stun me. No, someone's got to someone's got to fall, and 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 yeah, he, you know, for better or for worse, might be one of those guys. Like there's probably a few other names that I would give, but there are some like sort of you're you're totally well, again. Like I would yeah, drop him in that fucking. I would do it right away. But like I understand that if if it came down to those two guys, that they might choose Makabe over or over. Tyson. He's a former IWGP champ. Right, right, right. He's enormously popular. Um, you know, the, 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 so yeah, they would. He's not going to get dropped. I'd be surprised if he got dropped with no fanfare. Put it that way. But people have eliminated, you know, the Elgin and the and the elite guys that won't. You know, they obviously aren't going to be in it. And there's that one spot that people can't figure out. And I think if there's a good chance that Taichi, and that would upset a lot of people. But I think Taichi's a, a, a big contender to be that last guy that, that gets knocked mm-hmm. out. Um, you know, he's never been in it. He wasn't in it last year, right? So it's like, it's not like they're even pulling him out of it. It's, I don't, he wasn't in it, right? I don't remember him being in it. Taichi G1, yeah, I think this, the, he, I don't think he's been in it yet. So I think it'd be worse if he was in it and then wasn't in it this year rather than he still hasn't been in his first one. Let me double check that. I don't remember. I, I almost positive he wasn't. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking as well. Uh, and, and don't forget as well, you can knock uh, Tamatanga out of there. So. That's uh, right. Not coming back by his choice, of course. Not you know, which is a great pro wrestling move, though, to be like, you know what? I'm not doing the G1. <laughs> like, you know, three you know damn prior, well. like, you know, guys, I'm gonna focus on my tag team. I ain't doing the G1 yeah. this year. Like, you know, in 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 April, he's declaring he's out of the G1, <laughs> which I love. The, the, great pro wrestler move there. The day he tweeted that <laughs> was the day he found out he wasn't on the tour. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the preemptive strike to, well, now I can control the story. Yeah, which is smart. I mean, that everybody yeah. should do that. So, I'm not knocking um, them for it. I no, think it's it great. Is. Great move. Yeah, absolutely great move. But I, I just loved it. No no G1 for Taiji. World, uh, of course, New Japan Cups, World Tag Leagues, all that sort of stuff. Best of the Super Juniors, but never uh, right. Never a G1. So, 
So to me, that's why I think he's going to be ultimately the, the odd man out, you know, because you're not even giving him the indignation of yanking him from it. He was never in it. Anyway. Uh, Can back. I talk real quickly? Never open weight title. Uh, tell, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, with, with Tomori Ishii winning now, we've had a lot of guys. We have Jeff Cobb who won it, lost it right away. Taichi won it, lost it right away. Uh, Will Osprey who had the title, but you know, made I think a few defenses with it before him. Kota Bushi had it, lost it right away. Goto had it, lost it right away. Taichi had it, lost. It. Like we're, we're 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 due. I think really really due for like. A, a real never open weight title reign that we can kind of sink our teeth into where a guy really goes out there and just has good matches, defends the title. I I hope it's Ishii because I think Ishii is probably do that same title reign as well. I'm worried that that's probably not the plan because they, you know, Ishii's kind of Teflon. You can kind of do whatever. But but are you with me where like I really would love some stability with this title. I'd really love for him to just go out there and just defend this thing for six months, defend this thing for a year, whatever. You know what I mean? Like have the incre- incredible matches that we know, but really sort of establish himself and establish that title again as, as as something that's not just getting bounced around back and forth between guys. I think the last successful defense was the Cow Palace. I think, I think you're probably right. Yeah, you're probably right. Um. It doesn't bother me as much. It would bother me more if it were the IC or IWGP. I it doesn't bother me as much with this title because I or or even the junior title. It would mm-hmm. bother me more. It doesn't bother me as much with this one because I see this as like I don't want to say I don't see it as important. I think it's a, a valuable title, a valuable mid card title. I think it was valuable in helping to establish Willow Spray as a heavyweight threat. I think it's valuable in drawing mid-level houses at times. But I also see it as a title where guys just beat the fuck out of each other and it changes a lot. I don't know. It, it sounds like it doesn't bother me as much as you. Would I like to see a longer run? Of, I'm always in favor of long title runs. But I'm not that fussed about it. If right. Yeah, no, and, and, and normally I wouldn't be, but I just think, like, given where the title's been for a while and now that Ishii has it back, like, if it was anybody else, I wouldn't really care if they lost it again. If it was Jeff Cobb won it back from Taiichi, I'd just be like, yeah, whatever, Jeff Cobb can lose it in the next month. I wouldn't really care. But I just, I, I think it's a good time for Ishii to just kind of establish that title and, and, and do some stuff with it. And, you know, I'm looking at successful title defenses. Well, Osprey, he did have two. I had one at RevPro uh, earlier this year and then one against uh, Dalton Castle. Uh, at the Honor Rising show. So there, there is two more recent ones, but again, like you're not going to remember the Chris Brooks or Dalton Castle uh, Will Ospreay title defenses probably. And then you have I don't to go even all the way know, back. I don't even know if the Chris Brooks one is considered canon. Yeah, I have no idea. Per cage match it is, but yeah, I have yeah. no idea. And then before that, you have to go all the way back to uh, Cow Palace with Goto uh, defeating Cobb. So just like you said, so uh, okay. it, it's, it's a while. And then even before that, if you want to go to another one that didn't change, uh, it's Goto defeating Juice Robinson in April of 2018. So we're really looking at, you know, canon. You know, if we're if we're going to count the Chris Brooks one as not getting like three successful title defenses, basically in 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 way over a year, and that that to me is just it, it, that bounces around a little too much for for a title that I think you can establish as as something a little bit more than that. I listen. I can understand being bothered by it. I'm I'm not knocking you. Um, I'm not particularly fussed by it, but I but I get it. I'm not going to sit here and argue with you because I understand. So what do we have next here? We had, um, okay. I think this might be the match (laughs) that you thought was terrible. Gorillas of Destiny retained the tag team titles against LIJ. I feel like I've seen this match a half a dozen times. I feel like we've said that about these titles a half a dozen times where they just find a match and beat it into the ground. 
Rich, is this the match that you thought was terrible? I thought this fucking sucked. I hated this match, and I probably hated it a little bit more, like you said. It, if I just if this is the first New Japan show I ever watched, I probably would have thought, eh, this match is okay. But I've seen these two teams a thousand times. I've seen the same match a thousand times. I've seen the same style match a thousand times. And I talk about overstaying your welcome. This one went 17 minutes, and man, it was an excruciating 17 minutes. I just wanted it to end. And knowing what was coming in the next parts of the this, this show, I just was sitting there looking and like, oh my God, please end, please end, please end. Because I knew everything else I was going to probably enjoy at a certain level. And this fucking match just never ended. It just went on and on and on. And then it was bullshit. And then it was just, you know, the girls of destiny retaining. And it's just like, I'm at a point now where I might just start skipping these matches and, and, and going back if they're good. Because it's just, I, I feel like when they're done, I just wasted 17 minutes of my life or wasted 20 minutes of my life. And that's where I was with this one again. I was like, why did I do that? Why did I do that to myself? You know, it's just there was nothing to sink your teeth into, nothing of importance. The crowd didn't give a shit. It's I'm I'm done with this team, and I'm honestly I'm done with this division for a little while too. I think for a long time I wasn't watching these New Japan shows live, uh, just because of life changes and stuff. But I watched this show live, and uh, you know, you know, the entire Voices of Wrestling staff was basically live in the building, which uh, except for me and you, but um, Joel Abraham from the uh, Super J cast had tweeted out. He was standing in the bathroom line during this match. Oh my God. You see the bat. He tweeted out a picture as well. Yeah, I think yeah, at the Super J cast uh, Twitter account. Correct. <laughs> Everybody chose this as the, uh, as their, as their intermission. The thing about this match is I thought it was well worked, but that's the only good thing I could say about it because nobody cared. Nobody cared. Uh, no heat whatsoever. And this, there were LIJ members in this match, and nobody cared about this match. The finish was awful. And to me, it's like just a nothing, blah, void of a match. I can't call it a terrible match. You know uh, you know how I am. If, if, if the work is good and people work reasonably hard, which they did, I'm not going to bury a match and call it a terrible match. That's just me. But this had nothing else going for it. God, this was a stain on the show. Um, the least interesting thing on the entire show. And yeah, it felt like it went forever. So um, look, it's, it's we, Rich, how many years? How many years have we been talking about it? This current company, as it's currently constructed and booked, they're never, ever, ever putting effort into these titles. So I don't even worry about it anymore. It just is what it is, and it's not going to change. Right? People don't even complain about it anymore. Have you noticed that too? Like when, 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 yeah, you know, four years ago, three years ago, two, even two years ago, people would, oh, this is bullshit, or oh, that's garbage, or this team and that team, and yeah, people don't even care anymore, man. Like these matches happen and they exist and they're done, and nobody complains, nobody talks about them. They just, they, they barely exist at this point. Like I don't, nobody's got hot takes on them. It's just like you forget that these matches even exist. You forget these titles exist. You forget sometimes that these wrestlers exist when these shows go on because they're just, they're especially on a show like this that was loaded with like real cool stories, a return, which we're talking about here in a sec, like some fun matches, some crazy matches, some controversial matches. Then you have this thing just lumped in the middle, and no, I, I didn't see a single tweet about it. I don't even recall what anybody else saw of this match. It just it, well, it basically people, didn't exist. People shit on the match. What people aren't shitting on anymore is the usage of the titles and how they booked the division. Because it's like it'd Why be bother? like yeah, it's you're you're fighting against you know you're fighting upstream. There's there's no point in even fighting it anymore. It'd be like screaming at Giant Baba in 1991 to do something with the juniors. 
It's it's not going to happen. You know, it, it's some companies emphasize certain things and they just don't emphasize others. These bookers do not believe in the tag team titles anywhere higher than like fourth from the top. I don't think I've maybe on like when there were three destruction shows or something, maybe one of them snuck into the semi-main event slot. Maybe. But on a real full show like this, it's these titles are never mm-hmm. going to be higher than fourth or fifth in the top. That's just the belief that the current regime has in the division. And I'm wasting my time even now. Yeah, Same. So we've talked about it for too long. Yeah, and it's like you know, I many years ago, I I had the idea of of doing the old school like the Baba style thing, where like if you got two big time guys that aren't doing anything, just throw them in a tag team, maybe have them go for the title run, like have them win one of the titles randomly. And, they, and they've done that a few times. Like we had the Goto Okada match. What was that? I think last year, I want to say that they, they had a, a a fun match. And it was good. It was like exciting. It was like, hey, the tag division. And then it just went away again. And now it's- Yeah, it went away. Yeah, yeah. And it's back to the same old shit. And it's like, they you, you see the sign sometimes, but like you said, there's no point in fighting it anymore because it's just never going to fucking happen. That's just, they don't well, care. Bob, well, well, Baba would use the tag team titles to draw so he wouldn't have to keep burning off his singles matches. Right. So he pushed all the big stars and tags and the the lesser member, the pin eater, the the whatever you want to call it of the team would usually take the falls. And then he would build up his stars through the tags. You'd finally score a big scalp in a tag match before you would beat a guy in a singles. The way that Gato and Jado do it is they don't build guys in tags. They build them with the other titles. They build you up through the never. They build you up through the junior title. That's how they elevate guys with other with the with the secondary singles belts. Whereas Baba built guys through the tags, so it's it's really the same idea, just a different way of getting there. And that's just the philosophy of these two guys. And it's 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 apparent that it's never going to change. And it was David Bixenspan who probably brought it up first, but it's a tremendous point. It's fucking wild. That two guys who made their entire <laughs> career as a tag team don't give a fuck about tag teams. It's crazy. You know, and, and you know, the, the reason that they're in this position is because they were such a great tag team. Right. It's like hiring Ted Williams card. as your manager and him being like, ah, who cares about hitting? That's all about pitch. Like, let's focus right. on the pitching. Let's focus on the pitching. And it's like, no, Ted, like <laughs> you're yeah. a hitter. Like, why would you not care about the tag team? It's just, yeah, I don't understand. Like, do, I of any guy that you would think a, a booker that would appreciate and 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 honor and, and do all he could to make tag team wrestling great would be Gato. And he just fucking doesn't care about it at all. Like it's just the least favorite thing to him is you can tell, like you see all the, you see the creative booking that goes up and down the cards. And we talk about all the time and the stuff that really works and stuff that's got little pieces and little nuggets here and there. And like, and then the tag match, you can tell he's just like, ah, fuck it. Uh, I don't know. G.O.D. L.I.J. Doesn't care. It. Like, no like you can tell it's the last thing on his mind. Oh yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Fuck it. Who cares? Like, just say, what did we do last month? Yeah, I'll do that again. <laughs> it's like, and right, it's really, it's, it's, it's where your career goes to die too, because no one ever gets elevated out of that division. Again, right. you, you get elevated when you win the never title or you have a feud over the IC title or you win the junior title more recently. That's where your elevations come from. Um, not out of the tags. So yeah, I, I can't call it a terrible match. I'm not as down on it as you are, but it certainly wasn't interesting in any regard whatsoever. And to me was the low point of the show. Now let's get into the meat and the business end of this. Willow spray wins the IWGP junior title over dragon Lee. Uh, to me, this was a perfect example of a super hot, super awesome high-level spot fest and there's nothing wrong with that i think um this was not the 
didn't tell quite the same stories that the Shingo match told, but I thought it was every bit as good because I thought these guys did a bunch of insane shit. They pulled it all off. Um, they won the crowd over. And it's Willow Spray and Dragon Lee both at the top of their game um, going through a bunch of wild spots. I don't know how you can't enjoy that on some level. What do you think of this? No, I fucking loved it. I, I didn't love it as much as the Shingo will because, like you said, there wasn't there wasn't those moments. There wasn't those scenes. There wasn't those things that you can kind of go like, oh, man. Like, there's like that was a match, and we talked about it last week. The Osprey Shingo was an important match and the careers and the lives of those guys. And and, the, and the, what's going to happen in the next few years in New Japan was was largely, you know, result of that match and yada, yada, all that sort of stuff. Whereas this was just 20 minutes of dudes doing cool shit and it's like you know at at some level like it was i think maybe the the some of the spots i think better than i than, than the, the osprey shingo match like some things that happened in this match i liked a lot more but all in all as a match itself i liked it a little bit less because like you said there wasn't that importance there wasn't that sort of story being told with it but it was at the end of the day it was like two dudes having 20 minutes of really cool shit and some incredible spots too dragonly doing that that suicide dive through Will Ospreay, knocking out Milano. I mean, God, I watched that replay like a thousand times watching that. It was one of my favorite spots I, I've ever seen. I thought it was just awesome to see. Uh, but but yeah, like I, I'll grade it a little bit lower than Ospreay and Shingo, but I still went four and a quarter with this. I uh, really considered doing four and a half with it as well. But um, no, really, really good stuff here. And and such a, what a contrast between the match prior. This one went 20 minutes. That one went 16 minutes. And, and when you... Like think about that. Four minutes longer this match went. <laughs> and did it feel in any way near what that other one felt like? I mean, that other one felt like such a fucking slog, and this one was the quickest 20 minutes I've ever seen in my life. But again, credit, I, I gotta give all the credit. I mean, Dragon Lee was awesome in this match, but credit again to Will Ospreay for having two just spectacular matches within days of each other. And 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 you could have you I would have given him all the pass in the world to just go out there and have just a, a match where he does a little bit more of his slugging, a little bit more of his ground game, a little bit more of that stuff, and let Dragon Lee do all the flying and just maybe be the base and, and do all no nah, it's will osprey just doing the same shit that he ever does you know he does a fucking you know <laughs> dragon lee tries to do a you know reverse ronnie lands on his legs you know what i mean like just stuff like that where it's just like dude this guy is unbreakable right now and and just on an unbelievable tear right now will osprey i mean if he is not your wrestler of the year or, or you know having the best matches of, of anybody in the world right now I, I i just don't know who the other contender would be he's 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 on another level right now and this is just another uh, feather in his cap he's the best wrestler in the world right now He's the wrestler of the year right now going away. I think he blew past Kento Miyahara um, when you consider this tournament and this match here with um, with Dragon Lee. And it's uh, it's his award to lose. And if he's in the G1, no one's catching him. Because if he's in the G1, I mean, he's Will Ospreay. He's going to have five, six great matches. And that You know he's going to go out there with every intention to steal the show every night. He's going to have five, six great matches minimum if he's in a G1. And then at that point, how are you catching this man with the New Japan Cup he had? Remember that Lance Archer match? I mean, oh yeah, geez. I mean yeah. There's like, I mean, the, and then, the body count of Will Ospreay this year is insane. Like, and then the best of super, the best of Super Junior, where every single match was four stars or better. And then this title match. And then I haven't even seen the the progress tags that everybody's talking about. Then the band, the, you know, the Bandito matches, uh, the match with a kid that everybody forgets about where, you know, where, where those guys had a match of the year contender. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like this guy's um, resume is just disgusting. The Pac match, which wasn't at the level of some of the ones we're talking about, but another great four star plus match. It just, just was marred by the finish because Pac won't, you know, isn't doing the clean finishes. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just it, if he's in the G1, no one's catching him. If he's not in the G1, 
you know, all bets are off because someone always emerges G1 season and has a killer G1 and then has a great match at King of Pro Wrestling or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, his resume will just be way too deep. And even someone like Kento Miyahara, who I think is having the best year of his career, Rich, he won't have the resume depth because how many he'll have the carnival and whatever title defenses he has. And, you know, he'll still be, you know, if volume matters to you, if Will is in the G1, no one's catching him unless he fucking has a wet fart G1, which is not happening. This is the wrestler who's incapable at this point of having bad matches. I mean, when's the last time he had a bad match? I mean, at worst, it's like, ah, three and three quarters. He, you know, this one wasn't great, but he's never has a bad match. I mean, if he's in the G1, forget it. No one's catching him. Yeah, I mean, his, I, his, his match guide on cage match is just insane. Like <laughs> Scrolling to 2019. I mean, he's got 30 matches listed in, in the 2019 match guide. Just which 2019. Means, yeah, just 2019, which means, of course, yeah. it's getting votes and it's above a certain level in the ratings and it's got a Wrestling Observer you know, rating Correct. onto it. Which, you know, again, you can argue with whatever, but like 30 matches. <laughs> Like that, some people that a, that that a a handful of people think is like next level good. Uh, yeah, it's just it's not. Let, let me go. Th- look, there's the Kota Ibushi match that we didn't even mention in the Tokyo. <laughs> right, which you start off the year with, yeah. Which awesome. which might be which might be his best <laughs> match. Period. You know that we didn't even bring up when we were bringing up um all of these other ones. What about the you Jay know? White match? Remember the one? Uh, the what Jay was White that? match uh, at the, the anniversary. anniversary. Yeah, the anniversary show. Yeah, the Jay White match, the anniversary show. Uh, so there's even more that we haven't even uh, discussed right here in this little informal conversation um, that he's had going through. So it's just the resume is way too deep. So if he's in the G1, I don't see any way that anyone else can catch him. Because well, yeah, and that's an, also an unprecedented like to do best of the super juniors and be good in all of them, and then do G one and and obviously barring injury, probably do pretty well in all of those matches as well. I mean that nobody has that sort of resume ever. You know what I mean? Like that that's almost like an unbeatable. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 if he doesn't get hurt or whatever, like like who else has the opportunity to have that many great top level matches? I mean, that's what I mean. The, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's the depth of the resume. I mean, even the you'd Jeff have to be a, you'd have to be a WWE main roster guy that goes out there every single fucking week in singles matches Correct. and just kills it. Like that. That's the only person. Like if Ricochet was like that, you know, or whoever, whoever you want to say, like Seth Rollins, Roman, it could be anybody goes out there and every single fucking week on Monday Night Raw goes out there and has killer matches. And at the end of the year, can accumulate you know fifty matches that that are 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 you know in your notebook or whatever like that. Those people could have a resume, but no one else is going to have that resume. Nobody else is going to have the opportunity to have that many top level singles matches. It's nuts. And, and nobody in WWE is doing that. And and that's the problem. So um, if he's in the G one, no one's catching him. As we move on to the Intercontinental Title match, Tetsuya Naito wins the white belt from Kota Ibushi. My feeling here is that means Ibushi's winning the G1 and facing Okada in the Dome. We can talk about that after we talk about the match. Um, I really felt like the loser here would be the favorite to win the G1. I am on that team. I know that's not like a unique thought. That's what a lot of people think, but I, I mentioned it last week. I thought I, I was starting to get a feeling that Ibushi was the favorite for the G1, and him losing this cements that for me. We'll get your thoughts in a second. Naito defeats Ibushi for the Intercontinental title. Absolutely bonkers match. These guys continue. Look, you put look. I they can wrestle five more times this year. I don't care. I'm never going to get sick of this. There's another great match. Of course, everybody's talking about the apron bump that went awry. I am not worked up by it. Um, if, if if I felt they did the spot on purpose 
I might be worked up by it. But I think it was a spot that went awry. I think that it was either one of two things. A German meant to land on the apron, or more likely, a German meant to where I think Naito was trying to flip him off the apron, and Abushi was either going to land on his stomach on the floor or like uh, take a flat back bump on the floor. And I think that they just didn't, they miscalculated and they clipped his head. And then you had the gruesome looking, um, um, you know, neck bending over to the side there. But I don't think they were trying for that bump on purpose. So I'm not wound up about it. We've, we've talked about this a million times, Rich. It's pro wrestling. It's dangerous. People are going to get hurt. Um, if we live long enough, we're probably going to see someone die in a ring again, unfortunately. Not that I want to see that, but it's just inherently part of the game. I think that auto racing, pro football, MMA, boxing, kickboxing, and pro wrestling are very stupid things that grown men and, and grown women choose to do as occupations that are very bad for their bodies, but they are adults. And if that's what they want to do, if they, I, would, I would not partake in any of those activities myself, uh, but if that's what they want to do, and if they want to take crazy bumps, good on them. It's their business. Um, I don't feel any guilt or remorse when I watch pro wrestling. Uh, I don't care what anybody thinks about that statement. If you don't like it, don't listen to the show. That's where I stand. That's where I've stood for years. I feel no guilt, no remorse. I, that doesn't mean I want to see people get hurt. It doesn't mean I don't feel bad when people get hurt. It just means I'm, I'm not guilty about my hobby. And I know what it is and I understand what it is. And I'm not a hypocrite. And quite honestly, I think if you are worked up about these bumps and out there whining and moaning about them, I think you're the hypocrite if you keep watching. If you don't like this, don't watch New Japan anymore. Don't watch Tetsuya Naito matches. Don't watch Kota Ibushi matches. Don't buy a ticket to a Kota Ibushi show. Don't buy a ticket when Tetsuya Naito wrestles. He always wrestles this style. Cancel your New World, New Japan World subscription. I won't begrudge you. I would understand that. I think that's you know making a statement, saying I, I don't like this. It's uncomfortable for me. I, I don't want people to continue to push themselves until someone does die in a ring or until someone does get paralyzed in a ring or until someone's career ends again. I, I'm not saying that you're wrong if you take that stance. But I may be a monster, but I'm not a hypocrite. I know what I'm watching when I watch it. I understand what I'm watching. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's wrestling is inherently dangerous. If you don't think wrestling, if you don't want wrestling to be dangerous, the only safe wrestling is grapple fuck with no bumps. Any other wrestling is going to be dangerous. Um, you know, and if you want to make the argument that they can limit the dangers, go ahead. I'm never making that argument. These are adults who make decisions about their own bodies. And quite frankly, and I say this every time we have this discussion and every time this flares up, I am stunned at the lack of injuries in pro wrestling. So um, I am not worked up about it. I think if that bump didn't go awry on the apron, no one would be talking about the bumps in this match because there were a couple more that were, but, but people were then focusing on the right. rest of the bumps in the match after this bump. So I think this one spot that went awry and, you know, do I think they're in here? We always say this too, Rich. Do I think they're fucking morons for attempting that spot? Yes, I do. I do. But I know what I'm watching. I know what I'm getting into and I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to stand here and soapbox about it and talk about, oh, I hope they never do this stuff. I'm not going to sit here and do that. And, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you I wasn't entertained because I was. I did think it was a great match. And I'm not ashamed to say it. And I'm going to keep saying it. They went out there and had a match that entertained me. 
and have me popping off my couch. And again, if it makes me a monster, so be it. I'll live with that. I will sleep well. I'm not bothered by that. Okay? They went out there to entertain me, and they did. And uh, maybe there's a line that can be crossed someday with Joe Lanza. These guys have yet to cross it. Rich, you have the floor. Yeah. No, and, and, and we've talked about this many times. We talk about this anytime there's one of these matches that everybody, as you said, gets on their soapbox and screams about, oh, they uh, unbelievable. I can't believe they're doing this, yada, yada, yada. I, the way I look at it is, and I truly believe this, and I, I believe it with football and I believe it with anything else, that if as long as people have the information and know that what they're doing is risky, and no, same thing with smoking. If you want to smoke cigarettes, knock yourself out. You know, now everybody in 2019 that starts smoking knows goddamn well they they might get cancer from it. They know how dangerous it is. And if they still choose to do it, that's fine. That's on them. They can decide what to do with their bodies. They can decide to do whatever they want with their free time as long as they're not affecting or hurting others. And that's where I'm at with this. You know, if, if Kotobushi wants to land on his neck in a wrestling match and that's how he wants to tell his story and tell his art and do his wrestling, then who am I to tell him that he can't do that? He can tell himself what he wants to do. He is the only person that that has any obligation to his body, N not a bunch of people on Twitter screaming and, and and writing think pieces and all that sort of stuff and yelling about it and and all that sort of stuff. You know, it, it, it it's it's just to me, it's gotten so old and so yeah, I, I don't want to see guys die in the ring. I of course I don't want to see that, but if if these guys know full well the risk that they're taking, and, and the risk they're taking is every fucking time they walk through the ropes, is they're taking a risk. And and we've talked about that a lot of times too. People ignore the, the dangers of flat back bumps. They ignore the dangers of, of air travel after concussions and all that sort of stuff. But then they see, you know, a verse Rana and then, Oh my God, the neck. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh God damn. And there's so many more dangerous things that could done, you know, in and around wrestling, <laughs> you know, for years and years and years, what was happening after the matches was way more dangerous than anything that happened in the matches. And still to this day, there's stuff that, that occurs on a normal wrestling match and just a, a basic wrestling match. That's as dangerous as anything that's going on in this match as well. So yeah, the soapbox stuff, it, it's all just grandstanding for likes and backpats and all that sort of stuff so i just don't get worked up about it anymore but yeah I, it's just if these guys want to do this then i don't i'm out, again they are no under no obligation to, to appease you random person that screams about it on twitter they're they're only if this is how kotobushi wants to tell a story if this is how naito wants to tell a story then that then that's on them that that is their bodies their heads their necks their it, it's them and 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 i'm not going to sit here and tell them what they should do and how they should wrestle because you know that that's you know what i can do is not watch if i'm uncomfortable with it or i don't like it like you said i'll, I'll cancel my new japan world and i'll stop watching like i i find myself more and more these days being uncomfortable watching football even though you know i i you know i'm fine with people playing if they know the risks or whatever but i find myself every time a big hit happens going oh man oh, jesus christ and guess what i do i don't watch football anymore i used to be one of the biggest football fans ever you know that's how you and i know each other is, is based off football and football, and football yeah. video games and stuff we, i don't watch football anymore because i just don't find my I, I i can't i see stuff happen during a game and i just grimace and i go ah you know it's just it, it's too much for me so right football now. crossed that line for you and then you put your money where your mouth is right and i just don't watch it anymore i don't consume football anymore i don't play fantasy football i don't buy Madden. i just i, I don't watch football anymore because i'm kind of over it. wrestling hasn't crossed that line for me and, and and if it does that's fine like i get it if you think that that is that, that this match and, and that spot in particular crossed the line for you and you don't want to see these guys do this anymore and whatnot then you know then maybe it's you that needs to stop watching maybe you need to stop enabling them and doing all that sort of stuff maybe it's on you because these guys have proven they're probably not going to change and this is the story that they want to tell and this is how they want to apply their craft and when this was dover i said this match was fucking good i like this match a lot and and i'm not going to feel bad for that so uh, yeah that's that I, I hope we never have to have these discussions again oh well rich we're gonna have it a dozen i know I know we have it every time because it has to be addressed because there's an elephant in the room. We can't ignore the topic. 
So, you know, every few, every year or so, you know, we're going to have this one. And the thing about it is you can, you can botch in a wrestling match doing almost anything. Any kind of bump can be botched. And if you look at the history of the devastating botches where there were horrible tragedies where people were either paralyzed or died, it was usually, it's not moves like this. It's innocuous stuff like D'Lo Brown powerbombing draws or Oro doing a dive in Mexico. How many dives are there on any given Friday night in Mexico on Lucha shows? And Oro, you know, a dive goes awry and he cracks his his head open and and, and unfortunately he dies. Shibata delivering an elbow drop from the top rope on that young lion whose name is escaping me. These are in some of the worst tragedies. Almost all of the worst tragedies were on innocuous moves, common moves. You see them on pile drivers. You know, whether it was uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin breaking his neck or, you know, uh, there's a BJ Whitmer, uh, the bad pile driver a couple years ago. It's almost never on German suplex off the apron to the floor with a guy. Cl- it's, it's almost never on these, these wild spots. Dragon suplexes off of the top rope. Bad, you know, bad, bad, bo- you know, bad bumps and botches can happen on even the most innocuous moves. You know, and, 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 and that's the thing. That's why, to me, I can't get worked up about this other stuff. Right, right. And, and, and people and, could and say, and oh, get, it's, it's building up and it's building up and it's building and I up. Get but, that. Again, but, but these men are aware of that. Exactly. They know goddamn well what they're and doing. They you don't know think Tetsuya Naito thinks that landing on his neck sometimes is going to eventually hurt his neck down the line. He fucking knows, but that's what he wants to do with his body. And I don't these care. These guys know full well that by the time they're 45, they could be like great Muda, barely able to move. And I know with him, it's his knees. I get it. But you get the idea. Okay, these guys are all aware of that. So it's, it's you know, that's why I can't get worked. If here's the thing. Like I said, put your money where your mouth is. Cancel your New Japan World subscription. Don't buy a ticket. Don't follow the company. Don't promote the company. Don't tweet about it. Don't talk about it. Don't watch it. Go watch, uh, you know, promotions that you feel. Good luck finding one, but go watch promotions that you think are safe. And, and. There can be botches and 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 screwed up bumps just as easily on on the family indie show at the VFW Hall down the street next weekend in your town, where you know it, they where they take two bumps a match. One of those two bumps can go awry in the same thing, and you can end up with the same end result. And like Rich is saying, it's the repeated flat back bumps that are giving people the little mini concussions that we've learned this from hockey and football. That's where the real damage is coming from, you know? And, and so if these guys want to destroy their necks and mutilate their necks, again, I don't, I don't, would never do it. And I don't need it. That's the other thing. I don't need it either. But if they're going to do it and it entertains me, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it didn't entertain me. That you're not getting from me. Right, right. And, and, and one thing too is I, I, always, I, I always see a lot of like, People saying, "Oh, well, the referee should stop the match." Or the, yada, yada. Okay, <laughs> he I, he obviously goes down to Kotobushi after that spot. Like it's not like he went down. The, the Kotobushi falls on his face in that spot, and the ref just rolls into the ring and and they just grab Abushi by his neck and toss him back in the ring. You see the ref go over. You see Naito go over, and 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 just like any wrestling match that ever happens, 
they ask, Hey, are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Yeah, I'm fine. Just give me a little bit of time. That's usually the thing It's like, yeah, give me a little bit of time or yeah, I'm all right. Yeah. Or whatever. Like if he truly, if, if Bushi said, I can't feel my neck or, Oh, I can't feel my body. Do you really think red shoes is just like, well, too bad. Get the fuck back in there. And Naito's like, all right, let's go. Like, come on, get out of here with this. Like, Oh, they should stop the match right away. Or, Oh, they should do this or whatever. They would, if there was a serious injury, but if go to Bushi says, nah, I'm good. Just give me a second. Like, you know, and that's what? the thing. And that's the thing. He's fine. He's got a black eye. And that was He's from later. And that was from an innocuous spot later in the match. There you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton said they talked to him that night and he was fine. So it's like, okay, I get, you know, maybe stop the match as a precaution, but it, he, he ended up being fine. You know, it, 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 it probably looked worse than it was. No, not probably. It looked worse than it was because it looked like he was dead. And it turned out he was fine 10 seconds later running through complicated spots and everything else. He probably didn't even get a concussion off of that. It just looked really ugly. I don't know. It's, it's, it's whatever. Look, this is a great match. Okay. That's the bottom line. Um, so just to continue to turn myself into a monster, I went well over four and a half. On it Cause it was an awesome match. And again, I can watch these guys wrestle all day long. Um, if they're in the same G one block, I wouldn't even have a problem with that. But, um, Anything else to add about Naito Abushi? Uh, I will say this. Actually, it's interesting. I went on this big rant. I didn't like this as much as some of their other matches they've had this year. I, I actually only went four. I think I went four and a quarter with it, or maybe four. I have to check exactly what my rating was. Uh, I just thought, like, other than big spots, there wasn't a whole lot that I really loved uh, in between. I thought it was pretty cool to see the uh, Naito and Osaka, but that was kind of cool. But I think these guys have had better matches, and I think they'll have better matches. So with all this in sort of insanity and all this kind of nuts, you know, all, all about this, like, it's still... It was a match that, like, you know, when I when I grade, like, I, I like matches that had a little bit better than, than this. And I think they're capable of having a better match as well. But, you know, still, I, I enjoyed it, and, and I'm not going to feel bad about enjoying it. So. Anyway, let's move on to the main event, Okada versus Jericho. Uh, Okada retains the title. Uh, bizarre finish here. Uh, he just sits straight down on Jericho. They repeated one of the Okada Omega finishes from last year on the same show. That was the idea there. This is the second straight Jericho match that had a bit of a bizarre finish uh, on the uh, Double or Nothing show. He won with the uh, introducing the Judas elbow, which also felt like it came out of nowhere because people weren't aware that that was his finish yet. So Jericho is kind of establishing this thing where his matches can end at any time and completely out of nowhere. We'll get to the finish um, in a minute because I think that's where the interesting conversation is. The rest of the match, though, I thought, um, was awesome. Uh, this was Chris Jericho taking Okada out of his comfort zone. This was not an Okada match. This was Jericho beating the shit out of Okada. Uh, so many little things that Jericho does. When Okada does the cocky rope break early in the match, Jericho pokes him in the eyes with the double finger poke straight out of 1970s wrestling. Then later on in the match, Okada uh, is doing his running jump over the guardrail spot, and Jericho hits the um, uh, code breaker. Which, which I've never seen it countered in that manner out on the floor. Uh, Jericho's little things like the eye gouges and the eye pokes and the dirty tactics and, you know, beating them up on the outside of the ring. This was like, you know, Okada hasn't taken a beating like this since the Tenru match. And the Tenru match, he had to take that beating to save the match. Basically to save the match because Tenru just couldn't go. He told Tenru, just beat the shit out of me and, and bruise me up and pound my face. And that's how he ended up saving that uh, now very memorable match. 
This match, he just took a straight-up beating from Chris Jericho, the likes he hasn't taken since that Tenru match. And I thought this was all very awesome and very interesting. And uh, I dig all of the Jericho stuff. I know not everybody does. I don't know what you're going to say. I don't know if I'm setting you up or knocking it. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> but I'm telling you that I dig the Jericho stuff. It's still over with me. Um, and, and I think it feels completely different than anything else you see on a New Japan show. There's been so much variety in these New Japan matches uh, over the last two big shows between this and the Super Junior show. And uh, I was way into this. And uh, the finish, I liked the finish, but I conceded it came off flat. Um, but I think they had a good idea on paper that just fucking was a wet fart in the building. So that's my take on the finish. And I thought the post-match stuff was just Jericho brilliance. And, um, you know, and, and as far as the fans booing at the end, because they didn't get their um, end of show speech, again, brilliant work by Jericho, denying them that. And they're going to hate him that much more for it. So I thought all the post-match stuff was uh, tremendous. What'd you think of this? All right. So I thought the match itself was really good. I liked the match a lot. I thought Jericho's work in it was pretty good. He obviously, you know, you have to work at a little slower pace uh, with Jericho these days because he's, you know, he's 75% vodka at this point. So uh, he does move a little slower. He is a little bit more kind of brawly and whatnot, but I thought Okada worked at a good pace with him. I think they 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 structured everything pretty well. And I was into this. I mean, I was into the back and forths. You know, Jericho had a few hope spots here and there that that got pretty close. These 2.9s that I was like, oh boy, <laughs> like he might actually, and we talked about it the last week that there was like at least a not a less you know more than zero percent chance that he could possibly uh win the title there so i bid on a few of the near falls and then okada started getting his comeback and the crowd got into it and the crowd got into it and the crowd got into it and then the finish was, was just the biggest wet fart in the world because and i know I'm, I'm fine with a match finishing out of nowhere but it just for whatever reason that finish just felt like i don't it just i it just didn't work you can tell the crowd was kind of taken aback they kind of assumed that there was like a fuck up there that maybe red shoes counted through and he wasn't supposed to i just think they've done so many years of 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 untraining fans about finishes out of nowhere that when you do a finish out of nowhere like this and, and i'm one of them as well where you know this just came so out of nowhere and so out of left field and just had no build up to it that it just felt like an absolute deflating way to finish a match that i thought was really really good so it's one of these ones where like i, I went four stars at the match because i really did enjoy it and i probably have been a lot more but man the finish it's one of those finishes that really does sort of sour you on the match itself because everything up until that point was really good but it was like as wet farty of a wet fart of a finish as you're ever going to see. Yeah, it's it's something that, like I said, that I liked that I that did not get over. It absolutely did not get over. I liked it because it was a callback, number one. And number two, it's it, it was it was like the rest of the match, something completely different that Okada has never done. Like you're waiting for that closing stretch and they didn't give it to you because they just did something totally different than Okada has ever done before. And it's like, and I agree with you. Fans have been trained, especially in new Japan and especially in a new Japan main event to wait around for that closing stretch. And that's why they were all caught off guard. But maybe between this and the Tanahashi finish with Chase Owens. And I think they did one other wacky finish like this on, on another recent show um, without the uh, traditional closing stretch. You know, may, uh, you know, may, you know, I guess Moxley Juice Robinson was a very different kind of match than New Japan usually does. You know, maybe these are good things in that. Okay, maybe these finishes have to be sacrificed because they're not because they're not going to get over. But now fans will be paying a little more attention. You know, uh, once a match hits the fifth. Oh, the Jay White, Jay White Okada finish at the, at uh, in the Tokyo Dome. 
was right. another one that mm -hmm. was very similar to to where it just came out of nowhere and and the difference with the Jay White finishes out of nowhere is he he hits his finish he hits the switchblade so it, the switchblade comes out of nowhere but people are ready for the three count once he hits it they're not just ready they're just not ready for the switchblade when it comes that's the subtle difference there but still you don't get those traditional closing stretches with White either except for MSG and MSG they did do it so. You know, I, that's why I liked it while conceding that it didn't get over. Yeah, it, it's going to be it's going to be a long training if that's what you're going to kind of have happen. And and like New Japan was 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 built on that. Like you watch old New Japan matches, or even God, a lot of old you know all Japan before uh, really the, the the pillars started kind of taking off. And that's that's what wrestling was predicated on is just like these finishes happening out of nowhere, like things that would just yeah. sort of like and 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 I get it. And then people sort of were always ready for it. And it, it it makes matches more fun when that happens because then every minute of the match people are excited to say, okay, we could end right here, it could end right here. Right, the right, problem right. was this this felt and it was it was wrestled to a traditional wrestling structure and then 25 minutes in he just finishes them out of nowhere and it just kind of i don't know it was one of those weird nwa used to do these all the time too where it'd be like flair would have like you know a 30 minute match with some guy and then just roll him off and pin him and it was like all right cool yeah. and that and, but then it worked like in that era it worked because fans were ready for it nobody was ready for it to happen here maybe there will be ready in a year time if they do this a little bit more but i tend to think that they're probably not going to do this all that many more times and it might only be something that happens you know like you said a, a few times that it happens but you know maybe it's a good thing that we're kind of retraining fans again that these finishes could happen out of nowhere i think the also part two the, the, the thing that i just didn't love about this one too is is the way that it was out of nowhere it just i, I don't know it just felt too out of nowhere does that make yeah. sense yeah i know i listen i get it i know because i had the same feeling like, whoa where did that come from but then when it sunk in i was like oh i that was kind of cool. I dug that. And then I was like, but no one in that crowd is, is enjoying this. They, like you said, I think many people were questioning whether it was a mistake because we actually saw a couple finishes like that in the super junior tournament where the referee called it like a shoot. It happened to Teton twice. So it's like fans have just, just recently saw two finishes that weren't supposed to happen. And I think that may have gone through their mind. They were so shocked by this that they thought it wasn't even supposed to happen, which is not the reaction you want. Uh, but look, the bottom line here is no matter what, people are going to complain. They complain about New Japan matches that have, you know, the big closing stretch at the end. Oh, you don't have to pay attention until the closing stretch. Then you get some matches that aren't that, and people complain, oh, that finish was flat. It came out. Of no matter what, people are going to complain. That's the one thing that's constant. But uh, but yeah, this this one fell flat with the crowd. Everything else though um, seemed to work, and uh, you know Jericho has this grimy, you know lucha brawler thing down to a science at this point, and he's way too smart to not be able to stay over either, even with losses and everything else, which we talked about at the top, and I'm not going to repeat. But uh, but as an overall package, despite the fact that the finish came off flat. I really like this, and this was, uh, you know, a low-end notebook match. Four, four and a quarter, somewhere in that range. Three and three quarters, somewhere in there. Um, where'd you land on it? Uh, it I think I went there? four. Yeah, I went four with it, because I yeah. really, really, really like the match itself. It's just, yeah, the finish. Like <laughs> you can't go any higher when the finish comes off that Right, flat. exactly. Right, right. You right, cannot. Right. You know, but but it, but the rest of the match, I thought, you know, was excellent, and, and pretty much right, exactly so what was I wanted to Dominion, and we want to talk about a little more detail, Kenta showing up at Dominion. We had actually, I think we said last week that uh, it was getting pretty close to a lock 
that he was going to um, eventually end up in New Japan. And we had said months ago when he initially left WWE that um, we felt the favorite um, in terms of the destination, the landing point was going to be New Japan. I know at least I felt that way. I don't quite remember. I was, so I was weirdly like, I think I had 51% Noah, like 49% yeah, yeah. New Japan or something like that. I just, I, I we'll get to it when we get to it. I just, I, I felt that there was just going to be some sort of pull. To me, I was always like, I don't understand why WWE would let him go if they didn't think that he was going to go someplace that wasn't going to be a threat to them. But I assume that maybe they just thought so little of him that they just said, fuck it, man, just go. Who cares? Like, and I guess that's what I found out now afterwards is because they didn't give a shit as if he's going to waltz in New Japan and he, or they didn't even care to ask her. I don't know what it, the, the details were, but I think that took me aback. And that's always why I thought Noah was, was the leader, but very slim leader is because I really just felt that WWE would not have let him go if they thought he was going to New Japan and if they didn't know that maybe he was going someplace that wasn't a threat to them. So yeah, that, that's well, sort of what informed my decision there, but he could have also <laughs> said, yeah, I'm going to Noah and that's an ah, fuck it. I'm going to New Japan. Bye. Right. He could have hustled them or it's weird. I mean, they let the 10 guy go too, and everyone knew he was going right to AEW. Yeah. So it could just, it, look, they let some of them go. They don't let, I don't understand. You know, it's like, do they think like, Okay, maybe they thought so little of Kenta and Ten Guy, which would make sense because neither one of those guys were going anywhere in that company. But then you look at someone like Luke Harper. Right. He's not they going anywhere in that Luke company Harper. either. And we know they don't think anything of Luke Harper, but yeah. But they play hardball with him. So it's it's right. it's not even a matter of okay, the people they think little of they just let walk. It's just it's totally unpredictable how they handle each situation. At any rate, he shows up in New Japan. He announces his intentions to take part in the G1. We don't know any other details. I think a lot of people are assuming that he's just a New Japan roster member now. That might not be the case. He could just be coming in for this G1. That could be the deal. Or maybe they want to see if he can prove himself in something like a G1 before they decide if they want to use him moving forward. So we shouldn't jump to conclusions as far as what his actual involvement in New Japan is going to entail beyond this tournament. Uh, where a lot of people were taken back was this show took place on the same day as Noah's big yearly Masawa tribute show in Corken Hall. So the idea being that some people believe New Japan was rubbing their face, was rubbing Noah's face in this, or that Kenta was disrespectful towards Masawa and Noah. Look, I did a 35-minute piece of audio behind the paywall where I break it down and give all of my thoughts in extreme detail. Um, I think that those takes those takes are off base. But if you want to hear my detailed thoughts, uh, patreon.com slash voices wrestling. It's on the five dollar tier. Rich, you get to have your say. Are you put off at all uh, by either Kenta being in New Japan, period, or by Kenta showing up in New Japan on the day he did? Uh, are you one of these people who would have been okay with it if maybe they did it at Super Juniors or if they did it in Corkin next week? Uh, do you feel like they had to do it on this day? Uh, I am of the belief that it's not New Japan's problem what other companies are doing on what day of the week. I, I think New Japan's concern is New Japan. I don't think they have any obligation to Noah or what show that Noah's running that day. I don't think any of that matters. Where do you stand on all of that? I'm kind of the same way as well, and it's it's especially when we talk about the gap now that that's that's you know been between him leaving. We're talking what five years now, basically, right? What what is the exact timeline? There? Five years, around five years, yeah. So it's been five years since he's left Noah, and, and similar to what you kind of talked about last week when we were talking about Aoki, is this is not it is Noah. 
but it's not Noah in a weird way. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're, yeah. he has no obligation. I mean, there has what, been, what, two different owners since he's been there? There have been multiple ownership changes since he left, yes. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, your Yoshida days or Uchida days, and then you had what, I, I forget what the hell the name of this company now. Then, that, that, then and New Japan was involved in ownership. Right, oh yeah, duh, yeah. So basically three, if you want to kind of say in terms of like kind of money backers or, or, or so he's, you know, he's three different owners past, uh, new logo, new ring, new, everything just feels a lot different about Noah other than the name. The name itself has kind of stayed there. And now I can get how if you were a hardcore Noah fan, you would feel disrespected by that or you would feel, oh, geez, that, that's really, you know, kind of a slap in the face. But I don't feel like Kenta at this point is under any obligation to, to this ownership of pressing Noah. And I don't think he's under any obligation to, to whatever. And, and New Japan's under no obligation to Noah as well to do it. Is it maybe in some way crass to do it on the Masawa show. You, I guess you could see it that way, but I really don't. I just think that's that's sort of connecting two things that aren't really, I don't think, all that connected because I don't connect Kenta with Noah that much anymore. I mean, he's just not been there in five years. He wasn't, you know, it's a different company. It's a different ownership. It just, it, so much has changed in those five years that I just can't get all that mad about it. And, and I can't tell somebody they can't be mad about it or they can't find it disrespectful, but I just, in my heart of hearts, don't believe so. And I, I don't think, you know, the other thing too is I don't think there was any malice in it. I think it just so happens that the time that they wanted to debut him, I don't think that New Japan said, ah, Kenta, you know what we're going to have you? We're going to have you debut on the Masawa show. That'll show them. There's no, I mean, they, why would they have malice towards Noah? They have no need. I mean, they're, they're, they've laughed them. <laughs> the well, the, well, the over, angle, man. The, the angle the, well, I'll play devil's advocate. The yeah, yeah, people yeah. think there's malice is because of the way that the sale went down behind their back. Noah sold the majority, the previous owners sold the majority stakes behind New Japan's back to these new owners who then kicked New Japan out. So that's where people would say, to me, though, that's absurd. I think this is I mean, insane. Japan. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is, look, New Japan might not be thrilled with Noah. But this was happenstance. The two shows just happened to be the same day. And there were three other G1 announcements on this show. It's very clear they wanted to do all of their surprise G1 things on this show. Why should they move one of them just because the Noah show is the same day? That's Again, it's not their problem to be worried about what shows Noah is running on what day. So that's where I stand on that. And that's what I talked about length behind the paywall is I don't think that's New Japan's problem to be concerned with that. Um, and, and honestly, I don't even think it's that big a deal. You know what I mean? I don't think it's that big a deal. Again, like you said, five years, and it wasn't a direct jump either. If it's a direct jump, maybe it's more of a conversation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, no. If he's like, yeah, and, and, uh, totally. I mean, if we're talking about a guy who had been there throughout these five years, and the day he decides to waltz into New Japan, yes. the day they do it. yeah, then abs- Then I'm 100% with you that, oh, dude, like, if I'm Kenta and if I'm New Japan, I say, hi, you know what, dude? Kazuna Road will be perfectly fine. That's okay, man. We'll wait two weeks to announce you. It's not a big deal. We're, we're talking a half a decade. I mean, yeah. Jesus Christ. That's almost as long as this show has existed, Kenta's not been in Noah. And he was like, in a different company in a different country. I mean, you know, it's like it's not even a, it's not even close to a direct jump anymore at this point. And again, he never worked for these people. He didn't work for these people. Who is he? Who exactly is he being disloyal to? Uh, you know, so I don't know. I I think it's much to do about nothing. Right. Also, I also find it ironic too. And again, like we're given a lot of you know maybe uh, most people don't care and most people don't really give a shit. But you know there are at least we have to address it a little bit. But uh, I also find it just insanely ironic that that pressing Noah fans are upset about a guy you know jumping ship to another company. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean. I mean yeah. pressing Noah. <laughs> 
I address that on the payroll right. audio. It's I'm like, like you really you, don't have room to talk. I mean, your company's entire existence is based on disloyalty. Jumping I mean, a ship, uh, Noah, Noah's yeah. Ark, <laughs> you a know, ship. So, you know, so, I mean, exactly, exactly. So it's it's and, kind of that I always find kind of funny too. They're like, oh no, goddamn it! And I'm like, well, I mean, you really don't have room to talk. Your entire base is your company is based off guys being like, fuck this, we're out. See ya. So um, you can, and that was direct jumps and direct you know competition where where this really isn't at this point. So no, I, I I'm I have no real big issue with it, and I'm I'm you know how can I not be fucking excited? It's got to the goddamn G1, so it's like this is the best opportunity for him at this point in his career, uh, and we'll see, we'll see what he is. And I think this is going to be the thing because I had a bunch of people you know text me and 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 whatnot and be like, oh my god, Kenta's in the G1, Kenta's in the G1, it's going to be awesome and it'll be awesome. And I kind of just say I think it's going to be awesome. I hope it's going to be awesome, but I really don't know what he is at this point anymore like i don't know if the nxt thing is, is has been something that's ruined his career or or that you know the the five year that he's he's been wrestling and whatnot like and then the pile of he's had a bunch of injuries when he was in nxt too he's had a bunch of injuries when he was in america and he's a guy that that has had battled some some issues even before that too he's older than he was he's five year older five years older than we saw him the last time and and you can argue that his peak is, is it was even then sort of kind of on the downswing when he was on his way to, to America and whatnot. If you really, really yeah. wanted to, I don't know. Is he going to be re-inspired? Is he, is he ready to go? Is he going to get himself in the best shape of his life? Maybe. I, it might be. But just as likely, he can go there and just kind of be okay. You know what I mean? Like So I'm, I'm kind of setting up my expectations there where, where I hope that he just nails them. I hope the first match out there, he's just fucking the Kenta of old. But I don't know if the Kenta of old exists anymore. And that that's some, one of my worries a little bit is that I just don't know what to say. So I know there are a lot of people that are super excited that we're just we're gonna get you know 2009 kenta is just gonna land in, in new japan and be ready to go or 2005 kenta or whatever year you know you choose to really you know, put plant your flag as like the year of kenta or whatever like i i don't know if that kenta is coming into new japan right now I, I have no idea i don't know what it's gonna be i don't know if he was just cautious because that's the thing and we talked about a lot with WWE and nxt and and and, and triple h i think even addressed it on one of the conference calls is that he had to pull this guy to, by the side and just say hey look we hired you to be you like it's okay if you're gonna stiff a guy it's okay to throw stiff kicks it's okay to be what whatever you're gonna be because that's who you are but you could tell that he was never comfortable in that he was never comfortable in that system so i don't know is it that he's adapted to style so much at this point that he can't go back to the old Kenta or is he going to be able to in one match just go back and do it I mean the Marafuji match I guess saw a little bit of that but I won't say that I was completely blown away by his performance in that match it wasn't like oh boy this is Kenta man let's go it was good it was really really good it was better than a lot of his his NXT stuff but I don't know if it's going to be maybe what people expect but I hope it is I hope he goes out there in the first match and absolutely kills it and he's ready to go in this G1 and he's just the Kenta of old but you know I I, I have to temper my expectations a little bit because I just don't know what it's going to be I have hopeful optimism, and I think that Rich, the eyes, I looked in his eyes. I know you people think I'm nuts, but you could... He, he, he looked inspired. He looked like Kenta. I saw Kenta for the first time since 2014 in that ring, and he was in tremendous shape. You could see it in his face. He was out of shape and unmotivated at the end, and he, he, he was chubby. The big joke was like 205 Live. This guy's like 230. <laughs> right, right. You can see it in the, the cheeks, like you said, over a time the where you could, we laughed about it. We said, you know, he loves IHOP or he loves so much IHOP, and he definitely appeared to enjoy IHOP in his final uh, few years in NXT because, yeah, he, he definitely plumped up a little bit. And at, that, at this show, he looked like he's been in the gym and watching what he – he looked in tremendous shape. And Rich, the eyes, he looked like, I was like, holy shit, that's Kenta. The intensity in the eyes, 
the way he looked, I that made me, you know, he went out there smiling, smiling Hideo like he was from day one in WWE. I don't know, man. I saw it in his eyes. I, I think, you know, I, it, it, it can go either way. I think we'll know right away. But I'm hopefully I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic. I I I think it has a chance to turn out well. I do. I, I think that he'll be more comfortable to work the way he wants to work here. And I think that he probably views that time as a failure. How could he not? And he probably wants to prove himself. And what better place to do it? He's on the biggest stage in yeah. Japan, in the G1, where he can prove himself and put Hideo Itami behind him and show people that he's not washed up and go toe-to-toe with the best roster in the world where you're expected to go out there and have a great match. I, I think it's the perfect opportunity for him. I don't think it's too big for him. Guy's a major star. He's been in big matches. It's, it's not going to feel too big for him. That's not going to be a problem. The only problem is if he can physically do it or not. Mm-hmm. That's really the only question. I think he'll have the right mindset, and I think he'll, he'll not, he's not going to be afraid of the stage. That's not a problem at all. It's will the body hold up? And can he still go? But it looks like, look, I think he's been hanging out with his pal Shibata in L.A., getting into shape. And, 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 and listen, and we were told by somebody inside the business that would probably know that Noah did talk to him. And money was a big issue. So look, no one shot their shot, man. Yeah. Oh, I'm I, and I'm positive too for all the oh my god, Kenta doesn't give a shit and Kenta. I I I in my heart of hearts, I believe that was probably his first call. And I'm sure he he heard them out. Right. But it's like I said last week. I don't care who gets insulted. At this point, they're a big indie, and it hurts me to say that because I love Noah. But at this point, they're a, a large indie. When you really break it down. They're topping out at 2,300 fans per show. It's going to be a bloodbath when they run Sumo Hall. Let's be honest. And if and I want to be wrong. Okay? They're putting 800 people in the cork in half the time. Unless it's Golden Week or the Misawa show. They're putting 800 people into cork and look it up. Okay? They can't afford the guy. He's 38 years old. He, he's entitled to make some money, too. You know, it's, it's, that's got to be part of this. You can't ignore that. This is, you know, his chance, one last chance at a big run. He's entitled to make a little cash. And if New Japan came in higher and could offer him more money, and he sees, you know, two dome shows at the end of the tunnel to work towards and all those things, you know, how can you kill the guy for this decision? You can't kill him. I don't think there's a bad guy in this story. I don't think Kenta's a bad guy. I don't think New Japan's a bad guy. I don't think Noah's a bad guy. They couldn't afford him. And again, we don't know. He could end up back in Noah for all we know. You know, so I hate to use the cliched term, but let it play out too. Let it play out. After this G1, who knows? This could just be a one-tour deal or whatever. So we'll see, but I don't think there's any bad guys here, and I'm cautiously optimistic. Maybe that's a better way to phrase it than hopeful and optimistic. I'm cautiously optimistic that he can have a a good tournament. But um, anyway, 
if you want to hear me rant about that and re- well not really rant a pretty calm and uh, and subdued 35 minute oral essay on uh, on Kenta in more detail and looking at the history of jumps in Japan and everything else you can find that on Patreon on the five dollar tier, Rich. Uh, anything else on Kenta? You want to move on to these? Uh, not really. No, I'm excited. Uh, as you said, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic is probably the best way. Hope so, but yeah, we'll see. So we got the two Cork and Hall shows coming up this week, where they will announce the uh, presumably announce the G1 participants and then the G1 blocks. Uh, the the second of those shows, the 17th, that is already. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, that is sold out. They actually already sold out one of the G1 Cork and Hall shows, if you could believe it. Uh, the fan club uh, sold out a G1 Cork and Hall show, uh, the Saturday show, before it even hit the general public. So that's how hot things are in New Japan right now. They're selling out shows before anything is announced in terms of even people don't even know who's in the G1 other than the four guys who claim that they wanted to be in it. But uh, we do have a tour in between before we get to the G1. And we got the two G1 shows, which are really – they know that people are going to buy tickets to these shows just for the G1 announcements. So these two Cork and Hall shows uh, basically have nothing on them. There's a never open weight title defense on on the one on the 17th. Uh, Rich, could you even name the never open weight six man champions if you weren't staring? Oh at my it? god, I'm not actually staring at it right now, and uh, I can't. I think I think it's a Bullet Club crew, but I don't know that that's true. Nah, it's Makabe, Yano, and Taguchi. No, it's not. That's a lie. Nope, <laughs> absolute truth, and they defend. <laughs> Against a Bullet Club crew, Phantasmo, Yujiro, oh, so and it's about Jake. to be. So I was right. <laughs> By this time next week, I'll be right because it's definitely going to be that Bullet Club crew. But yeah, wow. Okay. Phantasmo, Yujiro, and Chase Owens are your challengers uh, for the Never Open Weight Title. Uh, my document is frozen, so I can't see the June 16th Cork and Hall show. If you give me a little assist there, yeah, no I- problem. So only thing that really matters here: Show and Yo uh, defending against Ishimori and Phantasmo. So. Um, so a, th- does that change your mind about the six man titles? If Fantasmo mm, and Ishimori, if if they win the junior tag titles, would they double belt Fantasmo? Will he be running around with three titles? With oh, oh LP fan, uh, three belt. Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I think he's probably they're probably not winning those titles. Uh, they're not winning the ta- the tag titles, and then they go back and win the the never open weights. But that now when you list the teams in the never open weight, there's like a lot of juniors on it, so maybe they're just not going to win the never open weight titles. Maybe they win the titles here, uh, and not the never open weights. But I don't know. That seems that's strange. Yeah, it's kind of weird back to back. Other stuff down that 16th show again. There's not much. It's Okada, Yoshihashi, and Hanare uh, versus Minoru Suzuki, Zack Saber Jr., Lance Archer. Uh, and yeah, that's really kind of the only two matches that well, they, don't, all, so. they don't. They don't put anything on them because there's nothing. People, buy- people are people buy tickets to stare at a screen and, and go yeah every time they announce a, a new participant in the G1. So, uh, do you think Phantasmo takes two L's though? I think he wins one of the. Titles. He's winning one of the two. No, he's winning one of the two. That's why I think the never open weight seems like the more obvious one. But you know, I guess it would. I would I be stunned if Ishimori and Phantasmo won the, the the junior heavyweight titles? I don't. I don't think I would. I think that's probably a good spot for them right now. That would be Chase Owens' first championship in New Japan if he wins the uh, trios title. Is that true? He's never gotten a trio before? No. Wow. He's never held the title. And, uh, he defended the NWA junior title. In, in right, 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 right. Hmm. But um, he's never been a champion in New Japan. So we have um, on June 25th, that's the Kazuna Roadshow, correct? That's where we're getting um, Sendai, uh, the Sendai Sun Plaza. That's the... Uh, 
because again, my my document is yeah, frozen. no problem. Yeah, no, that, that so these are all part of the Kazuna Road ones, but that's kind of the the, the cap off show, the kind of the, the the Keystone show of uh, the Kazuna Road on on, on the twenty fifth. And yeah, your matches there, your big sort of matches, uh, Rev Pro British Heavyweight Championship, which we were kind of worried was maybe going to be like on that Royal Quest show or like the main event of something else. I guess it's the main event of this show, but again, it doesn't really matter on this tour. It's kind of just a nothing tour. But it's Zack Saber Jr. defending against Yoshihashi, which could be another reason too why Yoshihashi got those pinfalls too. So maybe we're maybe we'll be spared oh, a Yoshihashi G one run, and it was just to kind of set him up for this title match. Hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, be good there. Uh, also, Rev Pro British Cruiserweight Champion <laughs> El Fantasmo defending against Taguchi uh, on this uh, show as well, uh, and then Okada. Ishii, Yano, Liger, and Tiger Mask versus Suzuki, Archer, Taichi, Kanemoro, and Joe. You know who's back. You told me next. You told me last week. He yeah. might be back. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I Loki's think back. That, well, here's the thing. Not only do I think he was good enough to come back, I think uh, uh, Despi's not back yet. So they still need this guy to fill out the card. Sure. So we'll see when Desperado comes back. I still think there's a chance they retain him. When Desperado comes back, but we'll see. It should be noted that Gorillas of Destiny have a match against Juice Robinson and Mikey Nichols on this show, and to our knowledge, this is not a title match. Right? Yeah, everything that I've read it said it's not a title match, but but that may have changed by the time we're recording this. I'm at a bad info, but everything that I've seen is that that is not a title match, which is uh, it's just interesting. You couldn't even just make it a token title match. It's just like no, now no, 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 could, no, 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 it's not. Now, to be fair, that could be. Now, the English New Japan page didn't list any of these as title matches initially. Because just because of whoever did it screwed up. So right. who knows? That might be a title match. Um, I also saw somewhere on the tour that there's a Tomohiro Ishii Toa Hanare singles match. It wasn't listed as a never match. But again, that was on the English page on the first night. So that may there might be a never title defense on this tour too. As of this recording, I can't confirm that. But they do have a singles match. And if you remember, they had a killer singles match. Yeah, match. yeah, they did. So, you know, I, I hope that's a never title match. You can't really justify Hanare getting a title match from a win-loss perspective, but um, I would still like to see that. It's just a never title. Who cares? You know, and, that, and, and it's like you're talking about. You get some defenses under Ishii's belt. And then uh, we should note they're going to Australia as part of this tour, too. Uh, Melbourne on the 29th and Sydney on the 30th. Lots of new names. Aaron Solo on this leg of the tour. Yeah, oh, what a what a what a pull there for Aaron Solo. Nice. And he's on the New Japan roster page, along with Slex, who's also on the tour, Australian wrestler, Gino Gambino, but listen, he's a bullet club member technically, so I get that one. And there was a fourth guy, I can't remember who it is. Um, who who it might be Jack Bonza, but I'm not positive. Who are on the New Japan now. There's a lot of Australian talent on these undercards. A lot of um, Tony Kazina slash Bad Luck Fale students. Kazina's wrestling on the tour, too, by the wheel. Yes, yes. Yeah, against Rocky Romero. That would be a good part so, burner. But my point here is, why would they put four of these guys on the roster page and not the rest of them? There has to be something to that, right? I mean, I'm asking you, I, you know. It, it was Bonza, by the way. Were you trying to figure out if Bonza was yeah. the one that was on there? He yeah, he is indeed on the on, on the roster page. So, um, no, I mean one of the things that's that's and we always we always talk about this too. And I, I don't know if we talk about it as much on the show as we maybe do on Twitter uh, at Voices Wrestling on Twitter. By the way, is the New Japan roster page is like 
that is the holy bible of like new japan's roster and who's who's where and if you're signed and if you're fit like we were you know with beta breath waiting for kenny omega to fall off and when he wasn't off we were saying oh he's not totally done with new japan because he's still on that roster and then he was done you know what i mean then it was just off and we haven't heard a thing about kenny omega back in new japan since then so they're they're like they're pretty tight with that like no people just don't get on that roster because a complete accident and there's a reason why those four guys are on there and and the guys that are on these shows but are not on that roster are not on that. There, there's always a rhyme and, and, and there's always a reason to to what's going on on that roster page. So I, I don't have the exact answer for you, but but there's something there. It's significant. Slex is a guy they absolutely should use more. Um, if they're looking to add, if there's a spot, he should have one. He yeah, Slex is match, awesome. Great match with Okada. He looks great. Um, Aaron Solo came out of left field. Good for him. Uh, good for extra talented. Ricky Starks has already worked a couple of DDT tours, so good for him getting into Japan. If this is Aaron Solo uh, getting a new Japan spot, good for him too. Those two guys deserve it. They've been grinding for a long time. They're an excellent tag team. Uh, they just uh, been hard pressed to get breaks. That's great if they've both latched on with Japanese companies. Um, so good for Solo if that's the case. It's weird because he's on the roster page and they're sending him to Australia randomly. So it's like. I don't know. There might be smoke to that fire. And it's actually Aaron Solo versus Slex mm-hmm. on the Melbourne show. The same one that has Okada and Tanahashi versus Jay White and Fale on top. And the Willow Spray Robbie Eagles junior title match, which is going to be incredible. God against Nichols and Robinson on that show as well. So God is wrestling Nichols and Robinson twice. Once in Japan and once in Australia. Neither of those listed as title matches yet. Rocky Romero versus El Fantasmo in a singles match. And uh, some other undercard stuff. Gino Gambino is working those shows on um, the Bullet Club side of things to justify his existence in Bullet Club, I guess. They made him a Bullet Club member, and then he like never works in Japan. But now that they're in Australia, he's working some six-man tags on that side. And then there's some other um, Australian undercard um, workers there that are, to- again, Tony Casino is wrestling against Rocky Romero in Sydney, which is interesting. Jack Bonza against Mick Moretti. And Mick Moretti is a guy who, look, I don't know if he's a good fit for New Japan necessarily because he's a little bit on the gimmicky side, but he killed it and beyond um, on the first couple episodes of Uncharted. He, I just saw him, uh, a match, uh, Mick Moretti versus Marty Skrull from uh, from Australia from a few months back. I just got around to it the other day and it was a tremendous match. Mick Moretti's very good. Yeah, he has a place in wrestling. I don't know if it's in New Japan. It may but, not be New yeah, Japan, but yeah, he yeah. is very good. Uh, so he'll, he'll face Bonza who, as we noted, is on the roster page. Aaron Solo faces Chase Owens in Sydney. So he's got two singles matches. That's where they're doing Romero and versus the Wheelman. And you got guys like Michael Richards and Andrew Villalobos and Steve and Tom Phillip, a tag team who just won a set of tag team titles. Wow. I can't remember what promotion. So they're getting a shot in the prelims as well. And these are all Tony Kazina students at the Foley School. So if people don't know, Wheelman. <laughs> really bizarre. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's the head trainer at Bad Luck Fale School uh, down there in New Zealand. Uh, so or maybe in Australia. No, it's in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, New Zealand. So. yeah, yeah. And he's turning out good guys. I mean, there's some talented guys coming from there. And Rich, that's the Ishii Hanare match. It's in Australia. So it's on, it's on the Sydney show. Again, not listed as a never title match, but I hope that it is. You know, it makes sense. Hanare wrestling in his neck of the woods. You know what I mean? It, it, sure. It's oh, yeah. A- He'll be over like a million bucks. I mean, they should make it a never overweight title match, and, and he should get really close and then just lose in and, and, and one of those great moments where, where both guys will get over from it. Yeah. So I think those Australia shows are super interesting. 
They're really cool. A lot of good singles matches, a lot of cool talent in there, and it's like Will Ospreay, Robbie Eagles. I mean, that, that speaks for itself. We know that's going to be good. Uh, again, Ishii and Hanare looks pretty good, and a lot of the undercard stuff, too. I think people that that maybe don't watch that region all that much or don't follow the region or, or, or don't read the stuff that we do on the website, uh, talk about the region. is a great opportunity for you to kind of get familiar with with some of those guys because there's a lot of really really good talent on there and i should note as well uh scorpio who does a lot of our uh, australian and and and, and oceana coverage uh, is going to do previews of these shows for the website so he'll be able to kind of because like we can talk about the new japan guys we can have anybody on our site talk about the new japan guys but he'll be able to kind of dive in a little bit more to the significance of some of the the, the guys from that region as well so that's why i picked him to do the preview so you'll, you'll be able to read that uh, in the next few days hopefully now, this is interesting and a good transition to our next topic. Only one of these shows is airing on New Japan World. The other is a pay-per-view on Fight. That's weird. Now, I yeah. assume I assume the video on demand will end up on New Japan World for the other show. But only – I don't know if it's a technical issue or whatever, but only one of these shows is, is airing on New – I think live on New Japan World. The other is on Fight for like 10.99 or something. So – that's a little bizarre, but speaking of shows that are streaming, we wanted to talk about AEW's Fighter Fest show announcement for a second. That's going to be free. So, um, and it's not a bad lineup. Here's the catch, and I want to know your thoughts on this. You have to sign up for Bleacher Report Live. You have to download the app and sign up. You don't have to pay anything, and it's not a hustle. But you do have to have a Bleacher Report Live account and sign up to watch the show. But if you go through that step, you can watch Fighter Fest for free. Rich, I happen to think this is very smart. What do you think about this? No, absolutely. I, I think when I initially heard this and I heard people, because there was some, some hand-wringing about this, of, oh, I, I can't believe I have to sign up and sign up. Like, I always thought that it was one of these things where free trial and then after 30 days, you know, give us your credit card info and we're going to charge you monthly or what, like something like that. But if it's just download the app and you get to stream this for free, I mean, that's a fucking no-brainer. I mean, that's, to me, that, that, that I can't get upset about that and I can't get annoyed about that because that's a really good idea by them because it is sort of this weird in-between show, which we'll talk about too, because I really think this is a really really good show but you know it, it, it's this kind of weird in-between show on, on on the AEW calendar and it's an opportunity to you, you know double or nothing we talked about where, where if you had the opportunity and the prices were going to be the same you were going to go to the pay-per-view because it's reliable you can watch it on your couch you click two buttons and you got it it's ready to go where br live there's a little bit more you know is it on my phone is it on my ipad can i get it on my tv how do i stream it all that sort of stuff whereas this show has never been established as a pay-per-view it's never been established that there's any other option so if you want to watch it all they're saying is hey download this app because we're going to do stuff on this app so it's, it's a good idea a from aw standpoint to get as many people downloading that app and having it on their phone and getting the notifications about it. And, and and for BR Live and Turner, I mean, this is a big reason why they brought AEW into the fold is to get people to this BR Live app that's pretty much dying on the vine. I mean, there's not a whole lot going on on that app right now. And it's a big reason why AEW was so, you know, or, or, or Turner really wanted AEW to get some traction to this app. So again, makes a lot of sense from both ends. And, and, and from a fan standpoint, maybe it's not as easy as, as firing up on YouTube or firing it up on Twitter or whatever, but this is kind of the, 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 the what we're going to have to play now. If you want to watch AEW stuff, a lot of the stuff's going to go through BR Live, so it's a good idea to kind of get people involved in the app uh, now and get people sort of accustomed to it. And then when the big shows come, maybe they make the option of, hey, instead of pay-per-view, I'll go to BR Live. Or, hey, you know, this app works pretty well on, on whatever, on my tablet, or works pretty well on my Fire Stick, or whatever, you, you know, whatever option you want to use. And because the advantageous, the, the better idea is that future pay-per-views moving forward, they want you to get them on the BR Live app. You know what I mean? That's 100% profit to Turner, 100% profit to AEW, all those sort of guys. They want you to go to that app down the line. 
it's just they understand that there's going to be a little bit of a, a rough time to sort of get people involved in that because people are just creatures that have it in so many different ways. So I think this is a great opportunity to get it on there, have a free show, prove that the streaming service works, prove that it's easy, prove all that it's free, you know, all that sort of stuff. And that down the line, then you can convert hopefully people into buying pay-per-views on that service as yeah. well. So I think it's just a no-brainer for sure. What this does is it puts people's foot in the door. And it'll have people because now down the line when you want to charge somebody for a show on the service, you already have an account. You already have the app downloaded. You're already there. Now it's just a matter of clicking a button and paying. Right, and presumably you've used it before. I can say, yeah, it's a pretty good app. Or oh yeah, it works pretty well. Like and and that's gonna be. I think that's the biggest thing that, that that's a barrier to a lot of people. And 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 I get it. Like the first time that the double or nothing, I had a few buddies that were interested in watching a beer live, and they couldn't figure it out, and they're fumbling through, it, and they're doing all that sort of stuff, and they just said, ah, fuck it, I'm gonna buy the pay per view. And that's it because they had that option and they had that ability. And I think they don't want people to they have down the line that the end goal is that everybody pops up their BR live and watches the next AEW pay-per-view on that service and not pay-per-view is, is probably the end game. And, and it's a smart game for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this is a smart move, a brilliant move, both for TNT slash Beach Report and AEW. And it's a really good show too. It's not like a throwaway show, uh, you know, and it gets people um, again familiar with the app, and it gets their foot in the door. And and when you look at the card, I mean, geez, it, this I, I like this card more than Double or Nothing. Is that weird? No, <laughs> I love um, this card. It's 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 you know it's right there. I mean, you got the Moxley Janela match, which they set up at Double or Not or after Double or Nothing. You have Cody Darby Allen, Darby Allen making his debut. You've got the uh, six man tag. With Omega and the Bucks versus the Lucha Brothers and, and a partner to be named. I think originally that was Pac, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, obviously that's not happening. Christopher Daniels versus Shima. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Just that makes it a better card than Double or Nothing because, oh my God. A four way that they set up at Double or Nothing with the big, uh, with the Bret Hart thing uh, and the MJF angle with Adam Page, Jimmy Havoc, Jungle Boy, MJF. By the way, Jimmy Havoc. Is having a loser leaves town match with Sammy Callahan and MLW. So keep an eye on that. I think that's coming up this week. Could that be Jimmy Havoc worming his way out of his MLW deal into his AEW deal? So that's something to keep an eye on. I'm pretty sure that's probably taped already, but I don't know that I'm, I'm sure Callahan wins the match. But, uh, you know, because Jimmy Havoc, like MGF, is one of these weird guys who's got a contract with MLW. Mm -hmm. But you know what I mean? So maybe MLW let him loose. Um, what else? Uh, Michael Nakazawa versus Alex Jabelli uh, on the. Uh, uh, it's either a pre-show match or but that's. It, a, it is that, a pre-show. Yeah, they they're calling it a pre-show. I don't know what that means for and uh, a show that streams on an app. So I don't know what that means, but it's going to be a hardcore match regardless. Look, so. that's a rematch from last year where they did their comedy match. Jabelli's not a wrestler. He's the guy who organizes the uh, the video game convention. Uh, CEO, yeah, the CEO tournament. The CEO guy, and they had their match last year. They had their their, their comedy deal. So this is like. A running gag from the year before i they should not air this i don't know if they will they aired it last year when new japan ran this event um you know when kenny booked it but new japan you know it was a new japan promoted event they they have they shouldn't air this match i mean they should leave this off uh, the last thing i want to do i'm giving away a show for free and the first thing people see is <laughs> it's an untrained wrestler yeah a guy yeah. not a wrestler versus a comedy act in this and what's going to be a horrendous you know, this this will be more embarrassing than the Battle Royal was. And I would not air this. This should be a dark match. Um, the first thing I'm putting on the air is I, I open up with the Elite 
six man against the Lucha Bros. And open up with that. Yeah, that or Daniels and Shima is what I would do. You can't go wrong with either of those choices, but. And then uh, we've got uh, Riho, Yuka, Sakazaki, and Nyla Rose. Can I get a one-on-one match, please, with 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 the women in this company? I know it's. I'm starting can to get worried. I'm getting. Match. I'm getting a little worried about this women's division. You know, can I have Nyla Rose just squash somebody, or can Nyla Rose have a partner, and then the two of them can wrestle the two uh, Joshi wrestlers, or can the two Joshi wrestlers wrestle each other, and and Nyla can sit this one out. I mean, anything is better than this. I just, I can't take it, Rich. You know, it's, uh, let's have a singles match and let's get somebody a win and, 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 and away we go. Uh, you know, this just, it feels like it's just cramming them on. And it feels like no one's going to get over again. So, not a fan of that. But the rest of the card looks fucking outstanding. And it's free. And I, I think it was a smart move to get people, you know, inundated with the app and all that. So yeah. anything else to add there? Wanna... Not, not really. I would just say that there are going to be some, there's going to be some issues with the BR Live as well because it doesn't, it's not as intuitive as you would sort of think. It doesn't work with some TVs. It's kind of like, that's going to be, I think, a, a, an eye-opener a little bit. And hopefully it's an eye-opener to Turner and AEW and stuff that, that, BR Live is going to have to be a little bit more robust if it's going to be something that's going to be a, a, a platform that people are going to watch pay-per-views on in the future. Like, I think this is fine for like this, you know, tournament and this thing and this show or whatever. But I think there are going to be there are going to be people that are going to say, "Hey, shit, I'm trying to get it to like my TV and it's not working." Or, "Hey, I have this and it's not working." Like, it, it it's a little more complicated than it probably needs to be right now. And I think this will be a, a, a decent learning experience for a lot of people. But uh, I, I'm just saying, if 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 you're planning on just jumping in and watching the show. I would say before June 29th uh, with the show, we'll, we'll talk we'll talk about it probably a little bit before it happens. Uh, I would definitely advise you to get the BR Live app a little bit earlier and play around with a little bit and see how you can get it working on the devices you want to get it to working on. Because I know from personal experience and I know from friends that I had that like day of, it, it can be a little confusing to kind of figure out where to get everything and, and, and go. So I will just recommend download it now, download a little bit early and then sort of play around with it a little bit before. So if you really anticipate watching the show live, that you're kind of ready for it when it goes live. But uh, it'll be fascinating to see if they if they release any numbers or if we have any numbers or what the feedback is because this is uh it's, it's an interesting way to do it and i can see how some people are kind of like ah on the app that's kind of weird but it, you know it's now or never you got to get people on this app and that's a big reason why aw is with turner is is, is to prop up this this app so this, this this stream needs to deliver yeah oh it does yeah, absolutely it cannot the, the app can't crash the yeah it's, it's bad it loses confidence and then the next right. time they want to send people to the app it, it you, you don't get many other chances you don't get a lot of second and third chances like, I'm not worried about the wrestling. This card is going to deliver. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But the stream is what has to deliver. That is so important for them, and that's what they should be sweating out. And do we know any? Uh, do we know any VOD uh, for this? I haven't. I don't know if I've seen anything about that of where where it's going to land after. I, it I, I would assume on that app. But I mean, they're a little disorganized right now. Can we have one YouTube page? Please? Oh my God! Please, yes, yes. I mean, this can we is... please have one YouTube page where I could find everything? Please? Yeah, I don't want to go to the Nightmare Family page to watch the Road Twos, and then go back to you know the the Being the Elite page for the Being the Elite stuff, and then AEW's got their own page. Like, what are we doing? Get yeah, <laughs> it yeah. all in one. Here's what we need: an AEW YouTube page with all of AEW's content. Seems Full stop. easy. <laughs> <It> seems. <laughs> Full stop. No more being the elite having their own page. No more fucking roads having a page. I don't want to go to TNT's page. 
AEW needs to have an AEW branded YouTube page with every single piece of content they produce. This is first day stuff. What is going on here? This is a joke. I mean, it makes, it, I, I'm going to tell you what this does, Rich. Someone like me who gets easily agitated, now I don't watch any of it. You know how I am, okay? Now I'm frustrated. If I have to look in nine different places to try to find something, I'm not watching it now. That's it. And I'm someone who hasn't watched any of their online YouTube content because I'm not searching four different places for it. If you put it all in one place, I'll watch all of it. I'll eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay? Fucking hire Lagana and straighten it out. How about that? <laughs> I, I mean, seriously. He'll get it. Would that man not have this straightened out by this point? I just don't understand why it's not. I, I, I can't understand why everybody can get together and say, wait, but no, no, we can't have the Nightmare family, the Being the Elite, and an AEW page. No, everything's got to be all in one. So this um, is like a nightmare. You yeah, that's got to be day one stuff. I was business. You do this for a living. This is a fucking nightmare. I know. I, I couldn't. I, yeah, somebody, yeah, I got <laughs> that is my job is trying to kind of coordinate this stuff and do it. And and I was kind of taken aback by it because I remember I was trying to watch one of the Road Twos and I'm on the Being the Elite page and I'm like, I can't find the Road Two. And and I'm, I, I go to the AEW YouTube page and I can't find it either. So then I search it and I'm like, the Nightmare Family? Well, why the fuck is it on the Nightmare Family page? What the hell is this? I've never even heard of this page. So I, the idea that I have to subscribe to three different channels to get all of the content uh, that they produce on, on, on YouTube is, is is pretty laughable. So yeah, they, they the, the, strategy, the digital strategy needs to get wrapped up a lot more. I mean, that that is something I would say of all the stuff they've done so far, all the professional stuff that they've done in terms of, of arena production and, 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 and matches and, and rollouts and announcements, all that sort of stuff. The only thing that they have not done, their digital is still, it, it's leaving a little bit to be desired. And, and, and yeah, I can't believe it's, it's as, you know, kind of disorganized as it hey, is listen, at this point. Listen, people over there are listening. We know they are. Straighten it out. All right, get your shit together and straighten it out. This is a joke. I mean, you're just shooting yourself in the foot here. This is ridiculous, okay? Because if Joe Lanza's frustrated and is hand-waving it all, I'm not the only one, okay? There's other people who are like, who don't know where to find this shit, okay? And it all needs to get tweeted out from your AEW Twitter. And it all needs to be on the AEW YouTube page. Uh, straighten it out. This is, this, is, this is Mickey Mouse unorganized indie bullshit having your videos in 19 different places. I mean, please, let's get this straightened out. That's a joke. Um, as we bounce over to Dragon Gate, we'll switch in tone. Uh, we're done with AEW, right? You got nothing left? Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk fighter yeah, when we get a little closer. All right. So uh, let's talk <laughs> about... I'm not going to get pressed for anymore for all out. I guess I'm buying, I'm buying a ticket anyway, so just in case. But yeah. Yeah, well, you know, look, we tell it like it is on this show, Rich. You know, yeah, they should take that advice. They should say that's good advice. Thank you. Absolutely. I mean, it's tremendous advice. They really should listen. Everyone should, all these promotions should listen to us. You know, hey, listen, New Japan's been listening to us for seven years. How's that been going? You know, so there you go. You know, hey, listen, you follow our lead. Just give us the pencil. Just go all out and give us the pencil. Um, Dragon Gate. Don't do that. I would definitely advise not doing that. Well, maybe. I don't know. I think we could book a pretty good promotion. I don't want to be involved in any financials of a promotion, but I think I think we could book a promotion pretty well. How would you have booked Dragon Gate, King of Gate, as I forcefully transition you? <laughs> if I had the pencil, Ben K's fucking winning that thing. And he's beating E-I-T-A? <laughs> or is he... There's a callback. Or is he beating someone else? Because I thought this was perfect. Perfect. This no, exactly the way it needed to be. I was... I was Everything they've done for this tournament as I've sort of been following it and catching up over the last few days, they fucking nailed it with Ben K. Well, besides the fact that they changed the rules of the tournament halfway through. Well, that happens. <laughs> so we won't talk about that. that. That's a fucking shit show. But the end result was they got the right final and they got the right winner. 
as Ben K defeats Ata in uh, just over 20 minutes in the King of Gate final. And then Pac comes out to confront him, tells him he's not even worthy of challenging for the Bastards title. Pac is so fucking good. Pac can just come out and cut promos on guys, and I'm fired up. He's oh, it's just- so great. Yeah, so so Ben Case speaking in Japanese, and he comes out and he goes, I'm not Japanese. Why would you think I could hear you? <laughs> like, just the idea yeah. that, like, how dare you speak to me in Japanese? And, and and you know, it's just, oh, God, it, 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 awesome stuff. Yeah, great, yeah, great, great promo from him. Back to the king, you speak to me in English. I don't know why I, I do, like, an Italian mobster. <laughs> But that's basically, yeah, he basically said, you need to speak to me in English and show me some respect, which, of course, got massive heat with the Japanese fans. And uh, but Ben K is your king of gate. This this look, we knew this was coming uh, before the dead or alive cage. He, he of course, uh, the end result of dead or alive is he gets kicked out of red. Finally, there's been tension between Ben K and Ata for months so uh, this, and of course, Ata is the uh, underling of sorts to Pac in that. So it all was just perfect to have him in the final against this guy. And Rich, uh, bigger picture, we kind of took victory laps last week on Shingo and Willow Spray, and we should probably take one here too because from the moment that this man debuted, this Ben K, we both ranted and raved. Old school listeners to this show will know, and they will remember that this was the next. This, this was the eventual guy that Dragon Gate was gonna uh, gonna uh, you know uh, hitch the cart to, because he had superstar written all over him from basically the first time we laid eyes on him. No, yeah, we we were all in on Ben K f- f- from day one, and there, there's been some you know with with his class of guys. There's been some that didn't quite work out. There's guys that have fallen off because of injury and whatnot. But but Ben K and 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 Shun Skywalker were the two guys that I think we talked about on that show. I, I remember a few years ago we talked about how loaded Dragon Gate was going to be for the next decade because they have all these guys ready to go and and all these guys still on the roster and they can bring guys up. And obviously that did not work out perfectly. Like there a lot of the dudes that that were going to get there didn't emerge and didn't you know, kind of work out or injuries or whatever, a bunch of different circumstances that led to a lot of those guys. And obviously the roster split and everything that's kind of gone on with Dragon Gate uh, in the years since. But at that time, we said that of all these guys, if, if there's any guy that we see as like the projectable star of this company down the line, it was Ben K. It, it was going to be Ben K. It was going to be the guy that was going to emerge from that pack as 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 the guy because he had a he had a big look. You know, he, he looked like a million bucks. Like he he at that time was looked like he was way ahead of the game in terms of of his in ring and stuff. And it always just felt like that was going to be the dude. That was the guy that was going to emerge. And, and there were some bumps in the road again. Like Dragon Gate has had a lot of bumps in the road over the last two three years, getting stuff together and and, and telling stories and kind of moving those young guys up. But they got it back on track. You know, and, and you know after, after the roster breakup, that's kind of seemed like it's been a healthy uh for shima and his crew and it's been healthy for dragon gate and they've went full steam ahead with ben k we talked about the cage match where where, where he was the star of that match that match was all about him and 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 now we're talking about this where the king of gate where he blows through everybody uh, i think he went undefeated uh in the entire king of gate i think he might be the first guy to ever do that i correct me if i'm wrong on that but uh that that was the guy and and, and i talked about it last week or i talked about it on um i should say on a q a uh, on voicewrestling.com slash Patreon, where somebody said, hey, uh, is Ben K the guy you would have win at Kobe World? And I just said, my real answer was, and I'm kind of gun-shy still with the T-Hawk stuff, is that don't give it to Ben K just because it's Kobe World. Give it to Ben K when Ben K is ready. When when you've built up Ben K to be the guy, that's when he should beat Pac. Not just because it has to be a Kobe World. Well, they just decided to do it both at the same time, where he's now built up at the right time. He got built up through the King of Gate, and it's all coming to a head 
against Pac at Kobe World. So it's it, it's worked out ideal uh, and it's worked out perfect. And 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 now I wonder if they do pull the trigger on that. I I kind of assume that they will, but I don't know if it's maybe the worst thing in the world if he doesn't win. And he's got to kind of chase again or whatnot. But but they're doing everything right with him, and 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 he's getting over. And you could tell that this is a guy that that barring any sort of catastrophe that this guy's going to be a star in this company now for years to come. So let me ask you this because you alluded to it. We talked about this young class of wrestlers they had, and it was L Lindemann who's now gone with, you know, he left with Shima and, and Ben K Futa Nakamura. Remember he was, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Futa uh, Nakamura and uh, Shun Skywalker and Hill Watanabe was another one. They had all these young wrestlers and we were so excited for their future. And then we weren't excited anymore because none of them seemed to be working out and it wasn't going as planned and all this and that. And now it's sort of turned around for Shun Skywalker and Ben K. And like anything else, some guys work out, some guys don't, some guys move on, some guys don't. So it seems to be working out for Ben K and Shun Skywalker, particularly over the last year or two. But let me ask you this, Rich. Are we just super impatient? Ben K didn't debut until April 2016. We're talking about a guy who's three years into his career. And, that's, and that goes for all of those guys, the ones that worked out, the ones that didn't, the ones that moved on. They're still babies. And yeah, I think Shun's 23 right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was 20 yeah. years old when yeah. we were projecting this guy as the future star of the company. You know, or, and, I, or, and, I know, and I know Ben Kay's a little older. He's, but 20, he's 27, so he's not super, super old either. Well, my point here is they're babies in terms of their careers. Yeah, right. right? right. And it's kind of like, you know, we see the same thing in sports where we're all prospect crazy now. And it takes time, you know. Sometimes it takes a baseball player three or four years to find himself and and meet his expectations. But we're all writing him off halfway through his rookie year because we're in a live now society. Everything has to happen immediately. Were we impatient with the Dragon Gate young wrestlers? This guy's only three years in and it looks like he's going to beat Pac. So... Isn't this working out according to plan? Pretty much. I think I think one of the big reasons why we were maybe impatient and why and, and it wasn't just us, it was almost everybody that followed Dragon Gate and was passionate about Dragon Gate, is that it felt like Dragon Gate was just sort of spinning their wheels for a long time there. And it, and it felt like there was just weirdness going on in Dragon Gate. And we found out the weirdness was was, you know, internally with a lot of the stuff going on with Shima and his crew and and, and kind of the power struggle and all that sort of stuff and and all those issues. Cause now ever since then, it, it, like I said, it's been the healthiest thing for everybody is because Dragon Gate now feels real fo- refocused. It, it it feels a lot better. It feels like there's more kind of structure going on and the stories are being told properly and all this sort of stuff. And, and Shima and his crew are obviously going doing their stuff and 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 you know sort of you know we talk about AEW and in China and, and and whatnot they're doing really good stuff going to Wrestle One all that other you know good, good stuff that they've kind of uh, landed on and 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 places they've been so I think it's 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 a situation where maybe maybe we were too hard and maybe a little too impatient but I also think that there was also just issues with Dragon Gate in general where we were like oh man what are they doing with these guys they're fucking these guys up because it didn't feel like they were on a trajectory they, they were on a trajectory and then it kind of all got weird for a while there and it didn't look right and it just was kind of sloppy and weird and, and it was hard to predict what was next with them whereas now things have calmed down a little bit and now it's obvious to look at you know a guy like a Ben K you could tell at the beginning of the year primed to to have this moment and primed to, to move up and Shun Skywalker who you could see slowly but surely kind of moving up now and it, it's I think less about us and more about Dragon Gate being where they were, uh, which was at an, a pretty unhealthy state two or three years ago, where now things seem a little bit more stable. See, I don't know. I think sometimes we all just need to take a breath, pump the brakes on some of these young wrestlers, 
and accept that it takes time. Look at Kento Miyahara. This guy debuted in 2008, and it took him almost 10 years to get to the top. 10 years and like two promotion changes before he finally grew into the role and got there, right? But these, this Dragon Gate class, a year and a half in, because I think we worked ourselves into a shoot at just how good they were, they really weren't good. It was potential at that point. Sure. And I think we were just impatient and everyone was impatient with them because they're still babies now. There's a good chance he's going to beat Pac three years into his career. Where Kento Miyahara, who looks like he has a chance to be an all-timer, it took him a decade. And bouncing around from Diamond Ring to Noah, then to All Japan, and then waiting three or four years in All Japan and getting his ass kicked by Akabono every six months. And the sl- look, sometimes you got to step back. How long did it take Kento Kobashi to, to, you know, between his two companies to get the big push? And how long did it take? You could look historically too, right? It's like not everybody's Kurt Angle. You know, and not everyone's going to get the put. But I look at Ben K, and I'm watching his semifinal match against KZ, and I'm watching the final match against Eita, and he's three years in. As we speak, almost exactly three years in, and Rich, he's ready. The fans are behind him like he's the superstar. The fans are behind him like they know he's the next guy. He works just enough of a different style from the. The one thing that struck me watching those two matches was they don't feel like traditional Dragon Gate matches. And, not that's at all. Not a, and it's not a knock. You know what I mean? It's like it feels like more traditional Pro in the Dragon Gate universe when this guy wrestles. And he comes off like a monster in their world, even though realistically he's probably like 5'6. He was barely, he's barely taller than Aita, who's, who's tiny. But he comes off like a monster in Dragon Gate, which is all that matters, because they only recruit small guys. So he comes off completely different based on his size and his look. And, and we knew he had charisma right off the bat, even when he was a young boy. We, we spotted it. We're like, but, but this just needs to be harnessed and taught. He's still a baby. I just think overall what this has taught me, between him and Shun Skywalker and Lindemann, for that matter, okay, is that we're impatient. And maybe, considering what T-Hawk is doing now, too, in Wrestle 1 and internationally, maybe we were unfair to him, too. Right, right, right. And I think and, a lot of that, too... Dragon Gate tried sooner with him. I think Dragon Gate is to blame, too, for T-Hawk, too, because they... Absolutely. They, yeah. He, he was a year or two in and, and was already main eventing Kobe Worlds and, and, and was not ready for that spotlight and admittedly wasn't ready to, to, to cut promos and be the, that, the guy in charge of the company. And if you look back, Ben K kind of went through a similar thing too. I think he had a Dreamgate title shot. He did. Uh, I want to say it's Mochizuki like a year in or whatever. And it was like, and that's what I mean. Like it, it, it didn't feel like things were built to, to, to have these guys sort of rise through the ranks like they traditionally were. And things were just kind of done. And, and it seemed like they were kind of grasping at, okay, who's our next guy? We got to pick. It's got to be somebody. We got to pick somebody. Somebody's got to be there. And, and that maybe led to a little bit of uneasiness too. So I think it is probably a, partially we were to blame and partially Dragon Gate to blame too. Whereas now this Ben K thing feels like, all right, look, it's been like six months that they've been slowly building this up where he he's breaking up with Red and he's breaking up with, you know, uh, Big R and now he's kind of the star of the cage match and now he's went to the King of Gate. Like, this is organic. This people can stick their teeth into. You can feel the fans saying, all right, we're ready for this guy. Whereas the t thing 
always felt like, hey, it's T-Hawk. And everybody was like, no, 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 we're not ready for that yet. And and they didn't seem to listen to that. And and, and maybe in prior years, too, with Ben K, uh, they, they weren't quite – they weren't right – you know, it wasn't right for it to happen when it was happening. Whereas now, it feels it feels good and it feels like it's been structured. And that, that's what I mean. Dragon Gate feels like they're under more control now than they've been in in, in the last few years too. And 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 that's it's it's the result is is a pretty fun, organically built star here with with, with Ben K. So I'm excited. Well, Ben K. had two Dreamgate shots last year, but the thing of the difference between his and T Hawks is I think the two Ben K. shots against Mochizuki and Yoshino, they were more. The, the company wasn't telling you these are star-making matches for him. The sure. company was telling you these are table-setting matches for him. Whereas the T-Hawk matches in his time, those were meant to be star-making matches. Oh, yeah. He was he was main eventing and winning Kobe World. <laughs> Match, you know, he's winning the title at Kobe World. That's the biggest thing you can do in that company. Did he win the title? He- I'm pretty sure, yeah, yeah, if I remember correctly. Um but the, the the point here is he he they were positioning him to be a major star because of those matches. They didn't do that with Ben K in his two his two matches last year. Those were table setting matches for Ben K. So that's the difference between those. But the point here is my overall point is I think as fans we all need to be more patient when it comes to these young wrestlers. Sometimes even if it takes ten years, that's okay too. If a guy starts when he's 20 years old and he doesn't really, uh, you know, uh, really find his stride until he's 30, what's wrong with that if, the en- if, if at the end of the day he does end up becoming a major star? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So it's just I- I'm watching Ben K wrestle these two matches. And I'm just thinking, God, you know, he's still a baby. He started three years ago. Right, what right. The- why the hell were we so impatient about this guy? All right, so I know the Dragon guys are screaming at me. No, he did not win the title at uh, Kobe World. He, lost, he lost to Yoshino, so sorry. I, I, I forgot about that, that he lost. You, you confused me, and then I kind of like was like, am I the dummy? Like, what? I don't remember that. But yeah, but 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 either way, the point stands. Those matches were meant as star-making matches. Right. And he also lost to Yamato in, in 2017. I was thinking of the 2015 one. I, I completely even forgot about the 2017 one uh, <laughs> recently, too. So yeah, two, two failures at Kobe World uh, for T-Hawk there. So anyway, let's. Um, here's another interesting angle that I want to talk about. Okay, and we we this this has happened to New Japan several times, and we've had this discussion. But losing Shima and losing Shingo and losing Akira Tozawa, if you want to go back that far, and 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 Shima taking some of those young wrestlers away, like T Hawk and 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 Lindemann, when promotions are forced into shaking things up and doing something different, usually usually if they have good people running things. It, it, they end up better for it. Do you think that's the case here with Dragon Gate, where they lose all of these major stars, they even lose some of their up-and-coming young stars? Because you look at the semifinals. I'm watching these semifinals, and I see Ben K, KZ, Ata, and Kai. Yeah. You know who I don't see? Mochizuki, Yamato, Doi, Yoshino. It would have been very easy for them in the face of, look, they had a rough 2018. We all know that. It would have been very easy for them in the face of that rough 2018 to just go back to what's comfortable. It's the old squirrel in the road. If a squirrel runs out into the road and a car's coming, squirrels are dumb. 
they go back to the last thing they knew was safe and they try to run back to the other side of the road, even if they're 80% across the road. And that's why squirrels get run over all the time. Instead of just keep getting, they don't just keep going and get to the other side. They get scared and try to run back and they die. It would have been very easy for Dragon Gate to be a squirrel in that situation and go, well, fuck this. We'll put the title on Doi or whoever the fuck. We'll do Doi Yoshino for the thousandth time to carry us. Through. Well, I actually did do that. Ignore that point. Uh, you know, but you get, you get what I'm saying here. <laughs> right, right. But they kind of were forced, okay, maybe it is now or never with this guy. We have to sit down and push him properly. Okay, we'll give him these table setter title challenges. We'll put him in the heel faction, which is nothing but a setup to have that heel faction turn on him. We'll do it with the right people. And look at these semifinals. None of the old standbys. None of that generation. Okay. Kai, okay, he's like an outlier because he was an outsider. But the other three were three of the younger wrestlers, all of whom they've elevated to some extent. KZ, who people see as a Dreamgate guy, I don't, I, but I do see him as a tremendous popular upper mid-carder who was used perfectly in his role putting over Ben K in this semifinal, in my opinion. I don't see him as a top guy, but I see but where he is, I think, is perfect. And I think it, 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 it's it, they've done a nice job elevating him. Oh, he's a great utility guy. I mean, you talk about the match with Pac uh, a few months ago, which was yes. awesome. And then this match, too. Like We're talking about the final and the semifinal. Uh, those are the two big matches that I watched recently. I mean, that semifinal blew the final away, I thought. And and the final was still pretty good, but I thought the semifinal was awesome. And KZ is so good in it. But you can tell when it's over, it's like, yeah, one dude's a star and the other guy's KZ. <laughs> That's fine. But, Again. But yeah, and I think KZ, it's like... He's enormously popular, and he's perfect for that role where he's like, he is such a great sympathetic babyface, too. That's the other thing. And for years, he was nothing. He was always like the sixth string guy in, in the heel unit who just ate pins and shit. You know, I don't know who saw this in him, but they were geniuses because he's tremendous in this role now. I think there's a danger, though. Casey's the kind of guy. You know what Casey is? This is a weird comparison. He's Sting in WCW before Nitro and all that shit. Like, like Surfer Sting, where you think he can be the man, but you're going to make a mistake if you make him the man. Because I, I, don't, I don't think he can be the top guy. But if, if, if you don't force him into that role where I don't think he'll be a good fit, he's fucking perfect. That's right. what I think KZ is. And then the other side, you know, you have Ata, Benke, and, and KZ as three of the semifinalists. Instead of that old guard. And it's like, they, they just, they're, they're just fucking, they were forced into a shakeup and they're doing it. And they're elevating these guys. And I know the hardcore Dragon Gate set aren't real high on Ata. I loved him in this role too. I think Ata is perfect as this fucking asshole prick, fucking little shit. I, Ata gets genuine feelings out of me as someone who never watches wrestling. Like, I want to see him get his ass beat. I think he's so great in that role. And he was the perfect finals opponent for all the reasons we laid out. So what do you think of the idea of sort of Dragon Gate elevating all these guys when they were forced to, right? And then having the guts to not put the old standbys at the end of this tournament. Yeah, I, I, I think no, no, there's definitely something to it. And I think it's absolutely benefited Dragon Gate. It's benefit, it, it 
in so, if you are a company with stable leadership and and you have good ideas about stuff, these sort of things are the best thing that can happen because it kind of takes away your security blankets and it takes away the idea that you can just, ah, we'll just go back to Dory. Ah, we'll just go back to Yoshino. Ah, we'll just go back to Yamato. And that's what kind of kept happening and kept happening and kept happening for years and years and years with these young guys is it always felt like, you know, they, they'd rise up and then I was just like, ah, you know what? Yeah, I'll just go back to Yamato. It's fine. Like, and, and I get it. Like, when you have those guys and you have that roster of, of, of just incredible talent, I get why you would want to just go back to those guys time and time and time again. But it was kind of a good cleanse in a lot of ways to get rid of some of those guys and, and, and sort of, you know, shave a little bit off of the company and then basically be forced to, to push these young guys and be forced to go, go with it. And like you said, the idea too, that you have strong enough leadership that they can say, Hey, look, we've been given this golden opportunity to push all these young guys at the same time and, and, and push a lot of new talent and stuff. And let's not go back to the old guard. We have some of the old guard here, but let's not do it. Let's really move on. And it feels like right. I mean, this year, 2019. And if you read our reviews on the website, Case Lowe's been doing an awesome job with reviewing all the big uh, voice, all the big Dragon Gate shows uh, on voiceofwrestling.com. If you read his reviews, you can kind of see that the tenor around the company too, is that like, they're not going back to the guys that they could easily just go back to those dudes, but they're saying, no, 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 we're going to build this next generation. We're really serious now about building these sort of guys. And and that's what the, the healthiest thing for any pro wrestling company to do is to have the ability to, to build that next generation, those next guys up, because you know what you can do. You can always go back to those next guys, the, 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 the old standbys. Like if Ben K now can go and face the old guys, you know, on, uh, on his title defenses, those guys are not going anywhere. Those guys are not, you know, you, you can always, rely on, on on those young guys or the, the older guys to stay in there but now you have the, the stable of young guys now that you can kind of go to and build through and win titles with and, and all that sort of stuff so yeah it's a no-brainer and i think yeah a lot of ways to shake up and and guys leaving did sort of force the, the force their hand in a lot of ways but that can always that can sometimes be a positive not always <laughs> you know it depends on how your leadership is some people can just absolutely fall apart and crumble when that happens uh but dragging it to its credit has, has made it a positive yeah, the semifinal match against Casey. It's just I'm watching that and the progressive, the fans progressively getting into the match because they're rooting for both guys. It's one of those matches where they're rooting for both guys and, and that dynamic really worked. They wouldn't have been upset with either result. I think in their heart of hearts, they wanted Ben K to win. I think everybody recognizes that this is his story, but KZ was just a perfect opponent uh, for him in that space and time. And then the Ata match. And, and the way that that match built, where Ben Cage just dominating him early, and then they do the big transition spot with the, with the members of Red, and then Aeta dominates the meet. And then Ben K makes the comeback, and he no-sells the, uh, the uh, what, superplex or whatever it was, and then hits the spear, and then uh, goes through his, um, you know, his, 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 uh, his sequence of moves there, and then wins the match in the end, and the Great celebration by Ben K. I'll always remember him like with his fists up in the air on his knees, like screaming in joy uh, with the win. And the crowd uh, was so into it. And, and Ata just looking dejected, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, his big rival, he could have stood in his way and, 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 and he failed. And then Pac coming down. And what I've gathered from all of this is Ben K, the fans are ready for Ben K. Yes. They, 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 they've built to this moment and sometimes it takes and sometimes it doesn't. And this is working and the fans are ready for this man and they're ready for him to beat Pac. And as protected as Pac has been and as great as Pac is, Pac has been nothing less than great in this company and for this company and protecting this company by refusing to lose elsewhere, which plays into this. And I have no problem with it. In fact, I endorse it because Pac's number one, responsibility and Pac's number one uh, um, 
uh, what's the other word I'm looking for? Um, obligation or responsibility obligation, yes. or yeah, whatever. Obligation is to Dragon Gate and to that title that they put on him when he came to that company when they needed him the most. God, they needed something when he showed up, and he saved the company. Make no mistake. And he protected that belt. And whoever beats him, and it looks like it'll be Ben K, is going to benefit so tremendously by everything Pac has done since he walked into that company and all the work that he's done elsewhere as well. Refusing to lose to your Willow Sprays and your Chris Brooks and your David Stars and whoever else. And when, when the one the person that's finally able to knock him off is going to get so much out of that. And it looks like it'll be Ben K. And the fans are ready for it. And it looks like he's going to be the guy. And those were my takeaways watching these matches today, more so than the matches themselves. Which I thought the two Ben K matches were very good. I really, I like the KZ match better. Sounds like you like the Ata match better. But I thought that they were very close. No, I, I like the KZ match better. Oh, so uh, we're on the, the semi, same page. The semi, yeah, I thought the semifinal yeah. blew away the final. Not that the final was a bad match, but I thought the semifinal was fucking great. So that that's a must-see, that, that semifinal, an absolute must-see. Yeah, because you see KZ's charisma come through and all that. Um, I just think he has the kind of charisma where he's just not a tippy-top guy. And I know a lot of people disagree with me, but that's just how I feel about him. And maybe I'll be proven wrong one day. Um, and, and, yeah, so uh, I lost my train of thought. And I lost my notes. Did you have something to add while I regather myself here? Uh, not really. Uh, I would say that, yeah, obviously we got Kobe World coming up uh, here in a bit. Uh, 721. Uh, it's happening, so we have plenty of time to kind of preview it. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're excited about Dragon Gate right now. So we got Pac uh, and Ben K. And also you have an open the Twin Gate Championship match on that show announced so far. Uh, we'll try Vanguard, which is Yamato and Kai uh, versus the Maximum Team, Daruki Doi. Uh, and Kaito Ashida versus the uh, Red Team, Eita and Big R Shimizu. So that should be a pretty fun one, too. But, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll obviously be previewing uh, uh, Kobe World as we get closer to it. But uh, I would definitely advise you, voice wrestling.com uh case has been doing an awesome job uh with reviews this uh year uh for dragon gate and, and reviews the last handful of years uh for dragon gate and also open the voice gates on the voice wrestling podcast network if you want to get involved in everything uh dragon gate there they're your guys to definitely do it but uh, i'm excited about dragon gate right now i really really like where they're going one more note and we'll get to our new mystery segment i watched the infinity version of night one of king of gate which was i believe the date is five nine may 9th outstanding if you're listening to this show and you have never watched dragon gate or you haven't watched or you're a lapsed dragon gate fan or we're getting you all pumped up and you want to get into dragon gate by the way that has a ben k main event on it against yamato it's outstanding okay it's cork and hall show that infinity is out that rich that episode of infinity is so good i'm voting it best i'm voting infinity best show again holy crap wow all right they did a dead or alive recap that was so good that anybody can drop in and know exactly everything that happened without even knowing Japanese. You will watch that show and watch that dead or alive recap and be completely caught up on everything going on in the company without knowing a word of Japanese. It is that good. You remember how good the infinities used to be. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And they this episode, and it's like an hour and a half. It's not the old hour format. It's like an it might even be closer to two hours, but it's longer than an hour. The Dead or Alive recap gets you all set up. 
they go through all the post-match dead or alive stuff where some of the units chose to remove someone and others did not. And they explain everything. They show you all the aftermath. They show you Ben K getting his ass kicked. Right. And then that segues right into night one of King of Gate and Cork and Hall. You get some clip stuff in the beginning, but the, the two matches on the back end are full. Or if they were jump cuts, I couldn't spot them. And the action is, and the matches are great on that night one cork. And I highly recommend tracking down that infinity episode. Cause look, a lot of times you say, eh, I got to watch a three hour fucking cork and show a company. I don't watch. I get it. I understand. That's my block sometimes too, with some of these promotions that I lose touch with that infinity episode for anyone listening. I, I, I promise you, you, it, it's a great 90 minutes of television. You'll be all caught up. And by the end of it, you'll be fired up to go watch these semifinals and finals of King of Gate. Uh, we should talk about Ultimo Dragon briefly. He showed up after a decade and a half in a Dragon Gate ring. They turned the lights off. Ultimo Dragon's there. I assume most people listening know the history, the bad blood and all that. Rich, was that flat as a pancake or am I What crazy? a weird, oh my God. I, so so I, I, I hadn't watched this. I just seen pictures and I went, oh fuck, I forgot to watch the Ultimo Dragon thing. So I, I fired up right before we start the show and I'm, I'm sitting there and I got my headphones in and I'm like, all right, here we go. And he comes out and he gets like 11 people clapping for him. And then he cuts a promo and like he gets polite claps. And then he goes out of the ring. Everybody bows to him and he walks out of the ring. And then, like, Nuruki Doi and Yoshino start, like, laughing, and the crowd starts exploding again. <laughs> they start loving these guys. And I'm like, that was the most awkward, weird thing I've ever, ever experienced. I thought Ultimate Dragon was going to get a Legends response. People were going to be cheering for him and going nuts. It was weird, man. What the hell was that? Just, I thought it would be a heated thing. Like, oh, my God, this guy. Something, here. anything. It was just like, oh you <laughs> you know what i mean like that was the reaction which is ew. it's like the reaction was oh it's that guy who's shitty now in all japan like that was the reaction like we'll be polite but who cares i feel like that crowd wasn't familiar with the history or the significance of him of showing up in that ring they just weren't familiar with it and you are talking almost 20 years so there's, it shows you that there's some fan turnover and fans who just, maybe some of Shima's fans left with him or I don't even think maybe, I think that's 100% something that happened and maybe they've got some new fans and, but man, that was flat and disappointing because I wanted that to be hot and all the Dragon Gate wrestlers surrounded him. You can tell they expected that to be a much bigger segment than it turned out. Yeah, you could see everyone's eyes kind of looking at the crowd being like, all right, you guys can start going nuts now. Or but Just the way getting... it was laid out, you could tell that they wanted that to be a huge angle. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, everything, yeah. Every, every, uh, man, yeah, it's it goes dark, and then the lights go on, and it's just like, oh. <laughs> you know, like I thought it'd be like, oh, but it was like, oh. <laughs> it was, I, I, it's I just really it. weird, where you're like, what? I was expecting Jerry Lawler in the ECW arena. Right. I was expecting Red Hot Heat. I can't believe he's here. Who's he going to wrestle? Build up to a mega match. This was such a wet fart. I don't even know if you... Is it crazy to say maybe you abandon it? Uh, I think he's going to do stuff at Kobe, but then after that, I would just say, yeah, forget it, man. This is Yeah, hard. I mean, if that doesn't... Ca- I mean, I am stunned at how that didn't get over. I, I know. I, I went and started asking our, our, our requisite Dragon Gate guys, like, is there... Is, is, like... What, what was this? Like, why did they not care at all? And I think a lot of them just kind of said that it's like, you know, a lot of the fans 
don't really have any attachment to him. And, and the fans that do have an attachment to him don't have an, a positive attachment to him. It's He's seen as kind of a negative figure in this company's history or whatnot. But, man, it's just so bizarre. I just thought, like, it would either well, be a hero's welcome I, or heat or something. There was nothing. I thought, he'd, I thought he'd be a mega heel. I thought he'd be Jerry Lawler in ECW. I thought he'd be, like, a mega heel. You know, but, like, he, it was nothing. It was, like, nobody – just no one cared. So I, I just feel like those fans had no idea of the history or anything else except for the 11 or 12 who gasped. Who were probably all of our staff members that were there. I was gonna say everybody that was there that we who knew. Kept getting chased out of their chairs every all, time. All six or seven of them, they clapped, but <laughs> nobody else. Well, did, nobody so. else cared. That was very uh, disappointing, and um, I'm very curious what they do with him now at Kobe World and beyond. We have a couple of minutes left, and we want to get in this new segment, brand new segment, a Uh-oh. segment we've never done before. I'm not surprising Rich with it this time. He knows that it's coming. So, Rich, we got about, what, like five minutes here? Five, five minutes. Yeah, a little five ten. Rich, are you ready to go bouncing around Mexico? Uh-oh. So, Rich, topic number one is we go bouncing around Mexico. Alberto Del Rio and Chavo Guerrero Jr. are the front men of a new promotion <laughs> called Nacion Lucha Libre. They have a television deal lined up and some major talent signed. Some of that talent includes, and you can take some of these, I would assume, with a giant grain of salt. (laughs) King Cuerno, Macias, La Mascara, Sexy Star, along with MVP, yes, that MVP, Carlito, Dr. Wagner Jr., Ricardo Rodriguez, who seemed like he was very depressed on Twitter the other day. I don't know what was going on with that. Uh, Phoenix and Pentagon, who work every promotion in the world. LAX, Taurus, Laredo Kid, who holds a million titles in AAA. Daga, Flamita, Puma King, Ray Horus, Ram. Where the hell did that come from? <laughs> well, I mean, when you're going problematic, you might as well just go all the way. So I'm sure Elgin will get announced pretty quickly, too. I mean, you may as well. If you got Del Rio and you got Sexy Star and you got Bram, you may as well just keep on going. So. And Thunder Rosa. So, um, yeah. And they have a television deal. We are told that the uh, we asked around. We did our due diligence. We did some journalism. The uh, television network they're on is, uh, is not super high-powered. It's also a terrible time slot. It is a week network, and it's going to air Saturdays at 10.30 p.m., which uh, is, is not a great time slot. And the feeling we get from asking around is this may be a bit of a money mark thing. Rich, what are your first impressions of this Alberto Del Rio, who isn't the most, uh, you know, um, he, this is a guy who isn't exactly uh, – you know, Mr. Consistency himself. What do you think of this? Uh, no, yeah. Well, I, how's that restaurant doing in San Antonio? Still doing pretty well, I imagine. Did you, have you taken the lovely Brittany to uh, Del Rio's restaurant yet? I no? cannot say that I have. Oh, okay. Well, soon. Maybe you can, but I don't think it's around anymore. I think Del Rio uh, getting stabbed outside of that. <laughs> yeah, that, that put a bad name on the place. I, I don't want to get stabbed, but anyway. Right, yeah. Probably probably not great. But no, um, yeah, I mean, if you told me that it was just like a random company popping up and these were the names that were announced, I would be like, all right, that seems a little much. The, the, the idea that it's Alberto Del Rio and Chavo Guerrero Jr., uh, to a more extent, Alberto Del Rio makes me kind of believe that this thing probably, I don't know. He, he's just not the most reliable businessman. He's not the most reliable partner to have. Uh, so I, I'm not too optimistic about this. And, and like we said, we did our due diligence with a, a few of 
people that are kind of toes ears to the ground in, in, in terms of Mexico, guys that know their stuff in Mexico, and and, and they both were kind of like, yeah, this thing, we're not all, nobody's really confident this thing's got any legs. So we'll see what happens with it. I mean, it, it, at least the talent roster, if, if it is to be believed, this just a pretty fun shows. I mean, all, all told, but yeah, how long they have shows and, and there's apparently, you know, Alberto in the press conference mentioned they have arenas booked, uh, shows booked in San Antonio, Austin, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and he's working on Japan. I mean, it seems like awfully ambitious stuff. I mean, maybe run your first show and then start deciding if you're going to go over to Japan or whatnot. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't have too much faith because Del Rio is one of the front runners of it. Uh, but I mean, I'll give it a chance and I, I, I hope it's good, but it's just, it, it's Alberto Del Rio and God. Speaking of Japan, Rich, Flamita, who you may have noticed I named him as among the talent, this is blatant false advertisement because he's booked in Japan until July 23rd. So you could strike Flamita off that list. They just th- blatantly false advertise them. Uh, <laughs> we're also told, because we did some journalism through some of our sources, that AAA has already talked to some of the talent that was named, such as, you know, Laredo Kid, Taurus, there's a couple other triple names on there. And they're strongly suggesting that they do not work the show. And then uh, CMLL, of course, too, has told already told people, look, uh, you're not going to work this thing. Um, actually, yeah, it's just understood that the CMLL guys, there's no chance that they're going to be allowed to work this thing either. Uh, both of the sources, uh, two of the sources that we talked to, have, uh, are leaning towards this just being a uh, money mark sort of thing that is going to flame out quickly. It's never a good sign when you're blatantly false advertising, guys. Number one, uh, that that you're getting off to a bad start right there. You know, when Flamita can't be at the show, even if even if he did one, they they also were told that there's lineups for uh, four shows. Okay, and one of our sources has told us that for the third and fourth show, he talked to some of the talent that is advertised, and none of them have any idea that they were booked. Yeah, that does not bode well for the future of this company. So, so uh, uh, yeah, yeah. One, one exact quote here said, uh, "Thought it was going to be a big deal, but the way they presented it makes it look like a money mark group that'll be gone quick." So, yeah, um, yeah we'll see. Lots, but, uh, lots of false advertising. <laughs> I, I like this. I like this little nugget too. Uh, Alberto teased that some current WWE wrestlers will be on board soon. He didn't name names since they're still employed. I mean, you know, he's advertising guys who aren't going to be there. So why not just go all out and start saying that? So, yeah, um, look, I knew nothing about this until we reached out to our sources. I wasn't prepared to bury it, but nobody has anything good to say. And uh, nobody's hopes are up for this thing. So uh, we went into it with an open mind. Yeah, I hope so. It sounds awesome. Like on paper, it sounds fucking great, but... Uh, as we know with these things, they they usually pretty often, especially uh, involving guys in Mexico, it tends to always sound a little bit better than it is on paper. So yeah, we'll see about this guy, but uh, not too uh, not too excited about it. Topic number two, as we bounce around Mexico, Rich Laredo Kid versus Hio Del Vikingo from June 9th on AAA's Twitch is getting match of the year buzz. I watched the match. You watched the match. What did you think of Laredo Kid versus Hio Del Vikingo? Oh, fucking rocked. Yeah, go out of your way. If you have not seen this match, go out of your way. I think you can you can probably find it pretty easily. <laughs> just look, do a search for the two names involved. I think you'll be able to find it pretty well. But uh, no, I mean, just crazy stuff that I've never seen before. I, I 
falling for near falls, like really exciting match. Like the crowd was super into it. Like absolutely, absolutely go out of your way to see it. I don't know if it's like my match of the year, if it's going to be in my top 10, but I really enjoyed the hell out of watching it. I think it's like 15 or 16 minutes. So it's not like you're investing all that much time in it, but you are definitely rewarded by this. I mean, really, really good stuff between both of the guys. And we've talked about it too with, with, with Vikingo. Uh, you know, Laredo Kid is, is, is good. Like a very, very good wrestler, but man, the other guy, he, he's, he's a star. He is going to be a star. Only 22 years old. Uh, we know that some American companies or, or North American companies are aware of him uh, and doing whatever they can to kind of get him in the fold too. Uh, AEW is a company we have been told as, as, as kind of they have their eyes on him and they know what he is. And they know he's good and they're trying to do visa stuff with him. But uh, yeah, Vikingo is going to be a, a huge star in, in wrestling in the next few years. And, and this match is just more evidence of that. Look, if Vikingo is going to end up in AEW and uh, I'm going to Look, I'm going to say it. Like, I'll breathe them in the same breath. He could be their Rey Mysterio. Yeah. I, you know, it's it's he's got that kind of something to him. You know, he jumps off the page, and he's immensely talented. And Laredo Kid, I feel like this guy was, like, the hottest prospect in Mexico a decade ago. Never really quite lived up at the time after the initial hype. I watched him work a, a ton of like Texas Indies over the years. He's always been around, but he's really starting to come into his own as one of the top guys around now. I haven't now. This is a disclaimer. I haven't watched a ton of, of CMLL this year, and I have a big playlist to get to to catch up on CMLL. But I have watched a ton of AAA. Oddly enough, this is my lucha match of the year. I think it would have been among the top 10 matches in the best of the Super Juniors easily. This Laredo Kid fight Vikingo match, no doubt about it. Um, and it is, it, it, and I have it slightly better than the Laredo Kid Taurus match from March. Uh, the Ray Dureus match is another match that I think is one of the best Lucha matches I've seen this year. This is my top Lucha match so far this year. Uh, if you're looking for a comparison point, it would have been right, it would have fit right in with the top stuff from best of the Super Juniors, uh, assuming that most of the listeners have seen that. And uh, it was just an outstanding must-see match. Here's the one thing. The version I saw had English commentary that was horrendous. And it really took away from the match. What version did you see? Did you I, I had the Spanish version. So that was awesome. Those, those, that, those guys, I didn't know a word they were saying, but man, their inflection. And man, their excitement got me excited too. They're just screaming. And like by minute 13 of this match, which uh, people that have seen it know that it just like, it, it never stops. It just builds and builds and builds and builds. By minute 13, they're just screaming. They're not even saying things anymore. They're just going, ah, nah, nah, nah. Like, I don't even know what words are. I don't even know if they're saying words. They're just screaming. They just fucking love everything that's happening in it. Uh, so I, I really, I'm so glad I watched that version because after after I watched that version, I heard that the English version was just fucking horrendous. And, and it's not worth it to, to have somebody poorly translate what's going on. I'd rather just have passion. Than... The, the, the English commentary is not only bad commentary, but they, they like turned down the crowd noise and turned up the do you understand oh yeah the crowd's so hot for this match too that that would kill it the way they mixed it was just awful and i don't know if that's like the i think it was the english twitch stream that i saw yeah what they're probably doing with that and 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 triple a's been known to do that too with their is they just take the base audio that has the spanish going in it and just tone that down enough and then just talk over the spanish version of it which is i think triple a did for a triple mania one year uh, as well yeah. so not not the best way to go about it because then you get stuff like that so. all i know is uh is it was awful so laredo kid is a double champion in triple a he's getting pushed all over the place uh alberto del rio thinks he's going to be working for him now uh, so <laughs> 
But um, but yeah, so that's uh, that's our new segment. We've never bounced around Mexico. Yeah, a, a, a small bounce, but I'd like to do some more bouncing around there. You know, we, we, always, we always talk about it. We'd like to watch more, you know, Lucha and more Mexico. But God, we already talked three minutes or three hours, I should say, about, you know, a few different companies here. It's, it's hard. There's so, so much fucking wrestling going on. And a lot of it's really good. So it, it's always tough. But no, I enjoy that little brief bounce around Mexico. All right, so we are done. Out of time. We got to go. We're up against the clock here. VoiceWrestling.com, of course, for all of our previews, reviews, columns, all that other good stuff, podcasts as well on there. VoiceWrestling.com slash forums. Uh, join our discussion board. Talk about wrestling with us and many other members of the Voice Wrestling staff and many other members of the wrestling community at Voices Wrestling on Twitter. Uh, and last but not least, of course, VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Patreon or subscriber side, where you get bonus content from Joe and myself. Uh, one more, too. Uh, VoiceWrestling.com slash Amazon. Any purchase you make on Amazon, do it through VoiceWrestling.com slash Amazon we get a percentage back and that helps us all helps us out a lot and i have no more time i'm trying to rush to get out of here anyway for joel anza i'm rich Grage. we'll see you next time on the voice wrestling flagship podcast take care say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill